Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the 14th, 14th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Doctor Strange. Over the next 90 minutes or so, we'll be delving into the twists and turns of Stephen Strange's journey from arrogant New York surgeon to slightly less arrogant New York sorcerer in great detail. So, as ever, a warning. If you haven't seen Doctor Strange, then stop listening to this podcast teleport yourself to a cinema in a nearby dimension, dark or otherwise, see the film, and then come back. Still here? Excellent. Then we can begin. Joining me today in our very own Sanctum Sanctorum to talk about the film in gory detail are two of our finest sorcerers, James Dyer, who wrote The Empire Review. Hello. And Helen O'Hara, who didn't. Hello. How are you both? Good, thank you. We are kind of sorcerers. We read a lot of fantasy books. By the wondrous ones of Watoom we are. Oh, and and James also (laughs) plays Warcraft, so there you go. Played, played. Uh, Whatever. I turned the shit in my head into shit on the page, so... (laughs) Wow. Believe me. Is it more like Rumpelstiltskin? Like a bad Rumpelstiltskin? No. Uh, Before we get into the film in great detail, here's a fascinating and spoiler-laden chat that Helen and I had with the director of the film, Scott Derrickson, in which we tackle most of, but not all most of your burning questions about the film in great depth. This wasn't a three-hour Chris McQuarrie thing. It was a good chunk of time, yeah, but not enough to tackle everything. And we didn't have the eye of Agamotto, so it was a one-and-done situation. Yeah. So enjoy the uh, chat with Scott Derrickson. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the director of Doctor Strange, Scott Derrickson. How are you, sir? Hello. How are you, sir? I am, even. I am, How are you? Hello, are you, sir? I am very good. And uh, please call me sir throughout the duration of the interview. <laughs> do you insist upon that now? Yes, I do. Yes, my film has been well received. I am now <laughs> Sir Scott Derrickson. Excellent. Sir Paul uh, told me to, oh, yeah? to yeah? ask Absol- for that. Yeah. yeah. I, I met him, you know, oh, really? Rec- recently. You won't believe where. Okay. I met Paul McCartney in Abbey Road oh Studio in oh, Studio amazing. One. Oh, we were God. recording our score, and he and he and for Doctor Strange, and he yeah. walked in the door. That is oh, the stuff that God. dreams are made of. It really that was, is. and he came in, and he shook my hand, my hand, and he's friends with Michael Giacchino, our composer. And uh, we were listening to a piece of the score, and he leaned over to Giacchino and said, "Shades of Walrus." <laughs> and, and I and, I, and I'm not kidding. The next morning, when I woke up, I thought I dreamed it. I was like, because that sounds like the kind of thing you dream, right? It sounds like you'd have a dream, and that's yeah. what would that'd be like. That was a great dream. Oh my God! But uh, no, it actually happened. What a validation. Yeah. That's extraordinary. I have to say, the uh, podcast is all downhill from there. It is. I can't top that story. Well, thank you for coming in. It's been been a lot of fun. I have to say, the the track that was released early by Chikino has been on repeat in the office for uh, a very, very long time. Uh, It is a fantastic piece of music. Shades of Walrus. Shades of Walrus. I think that was the one we were recording. Yeah. Definite Shades of Floyd going on there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Was that intended to end the film? It's on the end credits, but was that uh, a potential finish for the movie no that was well. that was specifically for the end, end oh, wow. credits yeah okay cool we were i i, I wanted uh a, a, a psychedelic rock track to start the end credits and uh at first i wanted uh jimmy hendrix are you experienced but the hendrix uh family like uh, demands to see the whole film ahead of time and then they're very expensive and we didn't have time to do it and then i just wanted to use interstellar overdrive the pink floyd yeah. track that's used during the they're in the car crash, yeah. and uh, they wanted uh, like five hundred thousand dollars or something just to play it over the end credits. So we weren't going to do that, and uh, and Giacchino came up with that. It's amazing, yeah. Awesome. 
It is amazing. And, uh, and he also did the new Marvel fanfare, so you're the first film out of the gate with the new sort of... Yeah, and thing. it's great. It's cool. It's so cool. I And, and, and of course, they've, it's been playing uh, over, over that uh, opening logo for... Uh, the last uh, couple months as I've been finishing the film and every time it comes up I just think this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is just really great. It's interesting because the last couple of Marvel movies haven't really had the fanfare. They haven't. They've uh, they've started sometimes uh, in media res. We've started without the, the logo at all. Uh, are there discussions at a high they, level? They, they always bring it in before the movie really gets going though, right? Yeah. Like the, the, sometimes they won't start it before the picture. They'll bring it, they'll have, yeah. like have, a, have a teaser beforehand. Yeah. Well, Guardians, yeah. Guardians starts with a, a scene and then it goes into the logo. So yeah. Are there discussions about how you begin your movie? Yeah. 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 Well, and we tried a bunch of different things. We, yeah. we tried cutting it up and tried some experimental things and none of it worked. And, yeah. and we just went right back to plain old, uh, here's the logo. Okay, here's the movie. So, uh, you know, you've... I don't know where to start with this. We, there's a lot. We've got a lot of questions. Oh, like, many no questions. No spoiler, but we've got like a page and a half of questions. Would you like um, me to give the answers first? Many questions. If that, you can. that would be interesting, <laughs> wouldn't it? That would be great. And then we ask the questions. Um, okay, can you set the movie in a time frame? Is this does this happen concurrently with any other Marvel movies? Does it? No, it's, it's it's present day. It's present day. So, how long is he sort of in in recovery? For the hand. Oh, we had that mapped out. Gosh, it's been a long time since I've thought about that. It's months um, that he's in recovery. I think it's between three and six months. Okay. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think it's three to six months. Right. Somewhere then, in there, and and, I'm, and, and it's. I, it, there was there is a more precise answer, but I don't remember which one it was. Which one <laughs> it enough, is? Yeah. Because obviously the movie starts. We have a, there's a shot in uh, Stevens. Uh, apartment of an award that he's been given for 2016. And a lot of references are very, very contemporary as yeah. well. As you see, obviously, you see the Avengers Tower, there's references to Adele and Beyonce. Uh, it's just, so is it right, does it start right at the beginning of 2016? And the time frame of his, of his learning uh, is obviously accelerated by the fact that he can project his astral form. Was that something? Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think. Gosh, don't don't hold me to this because again, I haven't thought about this in a long time. But, but I had a, a, a day where we went through and mapped everything out in the script phase, and then and checked in on it during production. But I think it's about a year from the beginning of the movie to his return to right. New York, mm-hmm. and so I think it goes from roughly from uh, late fall to late fall, okay. mid to late fall to mid to late fall. I think it is because it's you know it's it's cold and raining. Um, so no, I think it starts early fall to late fall, so it's a little over a year because I think it's like wintry when he has the fight with Christine and it's that cold mm. yeah. New York, mm. really dark gray, yeah. uh, uh, nearly snowing kind of vibe. Uh, so yeah, I think, it's, I think it's fall to fall, basically. I imagine that there are so many discussions. And, and, and what you don't realize when you first see the movie and then is that when he then goes through to New York uh-huh. everything happens in real time there's no significant time jumps after that yeah it's all okay. one big basically from that point on to the end of the movie you're with Strange as everything is unfolding yeah yes. as one damn thing happens after another <laughs> yeah it, does, it just doesn't stop <laughs> although I guess the, the wrinkle there is that real time is a slight it, well, yeah, that's a that's that a that's a relative term yeah. as time is relative. I mean, there's little time cuts like uh, you know going the, cutting from the ancient one to the inside the hospital. There's small time cuts like that, but they it all happens within a day, within oh, wow. one day night. At what point? I mean, there's there's a really interesting line. Uh, Caecilia says at one point, "Time is an insult." 
and time is obviously a huge theme and a huge factor in the movie. At what point did you decide that this movie would explore that and explore the ravages of time? You know, something I did with this movie differently than other movies is that I did not set out to certainly didn't set out to express any thematic ideas. Um, it was much more a process of discovery, and that was intentional. I wanted to learn from the movie, and I wanted to discover what theme, what themes were going to rise to the top, and that was one of them. You know, um, We didn't start off thinking that the time stone was going to be in the eye. I knew that going in... There were several set pieces idea set piece ideas that I wanted. I wanted to have a scene where people were fighting forward while a, 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 a city was being undestroyed um, <laughs> around them because it was impossible to do. And I said, "Well, we're going to do it. We're going to figure out how to do that." It's also it's a nice repulse to Marvel's critics. I think that as well because they've they've been accused of destroying too many cities. It was it was literally the uh, the the play on that. It's it's like every every Marvel movie ends with uh, a city being destroyed during a fight, and then a portal that's open is closed just in time. And I said, "Well, damn it, we're going to undestroy a city, and we're going to leave the portal open, and Strange is going to go into it, and we're going to see what's on the other side." (laughs) So that was that. That's that's how fresh my movie is. Damn it. Um, but it was uh, uh, it just kind of started to emerge, and it and and the Caecilius speech was a big part of that. That his uh, his obsession being with uh, time being the real enemy, and that that in an, a universe of entropy, you know, um, where things all things you know uh, run down and die, is a really philosophically interesting idea, and uh, and. And, and and in the modern world, so much has been done, so much evil has been done and continues to be done in the name of religious zealotry where this world is rendered insignificant and it's all about the life to come, the eternal life to come. And uh, and then that just started to filter more into, I, I knew I had that for Caecilius, but it began to filter into Strange as this kind of doppelganger of Caecilius. Yes. You know, and, and that's where the watch... Uh, came from not the subtlest of of you know symbols but sometimes i like the 500 pound symbol you know <laughs> uh because it be because it's so direct you 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 no one thinks you're trying to be clever yes. you know and it just it just sits there and works and somehow that one kind of sits there and works for me and it ties it ties them both into a sort of triangle with the ancient one as well because again time is yeah, time is relative, she, as she says, and, and she talks about uh, uh, the, all the years that she's lived and she was drawing power to extend her life. And, and, uh, and, and ultimately it comes down to, you know, how do we spend our own, how do we spend our lives? How do we spend the days that we've been given, the limited days, you know? Um, her, her death speech is about that, that death is what gives life meaning, knowing that your days are numbered and your time is short and uh, you only have so much, as I'm watching your little, clock ticked down over there um <laughs> i'm thinking my god am i gonna die when it gets to 12 <laughs> 10 9 hopefully let's, not let's hope okay not. yeah that would be that would be bad but uh but the, 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 it would be memorable <laughs> i'll bet it would help the box office let's give it a go <laughs> it would certainly help generate listens we have the last interview with scott yeah. erickson <laughs> honestly we didn't we had no hand in it he just killed over he it was just, just one of those killed things. over and died so let's uh run with this headline and uh, <laughs> Obviously, out of respect to Scott Derrickson, here's yeah. an interview. Um, <laughs> who's going to give me a bad review after that? 
Directed by the late Scott Derrickson, a Absolutely. genius. Absolutely. Ahead of his time for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the use of time is fascinating throughout the movie, though. I mean, you have this, uh, you, you say that initially it, the idea wasn't that the, the time stone was in the, the eye of Agamotto. That's right. Well, at what point did, that, did you hit upon that? Um, I think that when we finally made the determination that the eye would be used exclusively for time manipulation, you know, it, it, it's a, it's, it's like an all powerful relic in the comics. It's like a deus ex machina device in the comics. You know, the, uh, most of the early Dr. Strange stories are strange backing himself into an impossible situation and then suddenly realizing, oh wait, I've got the eye of Agamotto. <laughs> It can reverse time. Oh wait, it can it can change the trajectory of uh, gravity. Wait, <laughs> it, it can you know it it just it it shows up and solves every problem. So when we uh, finally decided to limit its usage to just that, and then um, figured out that we were going to use it for the for the final scene, then then it then it became uh, pretty obvious that the time stone would go in there. Um, and what kind of engineering do you have to do with the other Marvel writers to, to discuss stuff like that? Do you have to sort of send notes back and forth going, hey guys, just to let you know, we've got the time stone? No, that's all Kevin. Kevin is, oh. is, is, he, Kevin is the, uh, the head writer when it comes to um, the integration of the different stories. He, the way he'll do it is it's really actually pretty funny. He, he, just, he, just, he just dumps it on you out of nowhere. I remember we were on set shooting, I think it was the day Ryan Johnson visited set, um, because I remember the, the part of the, uh, of, the, of the set where I was sitting by the monitors and, and uh, we were shooting on, on the courtyard, what was the outside courtyard of Carmitage with Tilda. And, uh, and we were between takes, and I just walked over to him, and I was like, hey, how's it going? We were ch- chatting, and then he started, so in Thor Ragnarok, he's, this is what's going to happen, and he just starts laying all this stuff down, and then this is going to work into Infinity War, and I remember, and I remember sitting there thinking, <laughs> I, 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 this, you're, I, I'm, this information I'm getting is the most coveted information <laughs> in the world of entertainment, and 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 I thought I have so much power now, <laughs> I, and, and I thought I, if I went and tweeted this right now, I could I could I could just create a global crisis. <laughs> this is awesome, and then uh, and then uh, within. 24 hours, I had forgotten it all. <laughs> <laughs> you say that. Yeah. You say that. Yeah. No, I remember, I, all I remembered was the time stone part because I did need to remember that. Oh yeah, that, that's quite crucial. Yeah. That's quite crucial. But it, it's, it's very important to the film, obviously. It uh, it allows the, the denouement, it allows Strange to get one over on Dormammu. That's a fascinating sequence. That's that's like the whole of Groundhog Day into squeezed into five minutes, but really violent, really violent. Day. Re, re, well, that and that was the idea is to see that to to really try to get the experience that he really would suffer. He really was suffering, yeah. you know. And uh, who knows how many times he actually went through that? He could have gone through it thousands, for all we know. You yeah. know, it's all time time ellipsed. But the interesting thing about that scene was that uh, it's one of the only scenes that remained relatively untouched through the entire process of the screenplay. We were struggling with how to end it. And uh, and I remember being in uh, the Avengers conference room with myself and Stephen Broussard and, and John Spates, who was writing the first draft, and uh, and coming up with that idea. I didn't come up with it as cogently as it is in the script. I just remember coming up with the idea of it needs to be related to time. What about creating some kind of a of an infinite time loop, you know, that, that he gets, he, he uses the eye to, to create a, a, 
a skip in time, a, a moment stuck in time, because I, I just knew it needed to be something different, because we were toying with the big final climactic battle when Dor- Dormammu comes through, and, and, and I just, I got bored just even right now, I'm bored even <laughs> saying that to you, and 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 I'm sad at the paucity of my imagination that I ever even uh, spent a day discussing that. And, I, and and I remember saying that, and watching both Stephen and John, you know, react to it, like mm. physically react to it, like oh, that's interesting, like that, and, you know. And then John went went and wrote that scene, and it it stayed relatively untouched. I mean, everything gets changed in Marvel screenplays all the way through, you know, and that just kind of remained untouched because it just seemed, it just seemed so great. This big giant, you know, timeless force mm-hmm. uh, within a few minutes re- reduced to absolute frustration because <laughs> because he's you know he's been given a, a a physical law that he's he's unaccustomed to being bound by, and it, I think it works. It definitely so, does. Yeah. So, did you figure out how many times Strange goes through the? Well, we had a line in there. We had a, we had a line in there that we we had to trim out different things tonally. It was a we had lots of footage. We shot. We improved a lot, and we had one line when uh, uh, when he says, uh, "What do you want?" And instead, you know, we have the, right now when Dormama says, "What?" Finally, says, "What do you want?" Everything is so heavy and weighty. And Strange comes through, uh, and Strange actually just, I think, levitates up and says, take your zealous, he just answers it. But we had a line in there at one time where Strange said, we've been through this a thousand times, <laughs> literally, you know, which I always really like. We've been through this a thousand times, literally. So I like, I fancied the idea that they went through it thousands of times before Dormammu finally, yeah. you know, had his, he realized that he wasn't going to get out of it. And it kind of comes back to Tilda's line as well about, it's not, it's not about you. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the idea of self-sacrifice taken to, to quite a literal extreme, I think. Which, which yeah, and I, that, that's, that's the moment, that's the, that's the only action that you see him take as a as a hero to indicate that that that, that yeah. truth landed for him in that scene you know because he he's growing through the film and he's getting better but it's a pretty interesting emotional arc when you watch you know what benedict does and that you know he's so douchey and selfish and, and then and then he's after the after the crash, he's he's so broken and shattered, and and a kind of and and the kind of self loathing that I think all of his success was masking is laid bare, and he's hostile and angry and ugly. And I mean, the screenings I've attended, audiences gasp when he lays into Christine. Yeah. The yep. thing he says to Christine at the end before she leaves is is so ugly, and I remember thinking. God, I hope we can dig him out of this. You know, <laughs> like it was so. Even while we were shooting it, I was like, we we may never recover him from 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 this moment. But but luckily we we do. And then when after the magical mystery tour, you know, the psychedelic mind mind trip scene, um, he's he's broken and he's really yeah. genuinely humble and he really is like teach me and you know and he's he's like a kid listening. But then as soon as he starts getting good. The arrogance returns and the confidence returns, and he, you know, and he fights with, you know, with some attitude. Mm. And it isn't until she says that line to him that you, you know, it's a it's a camera move as we as we track around Tilda, literally him coming around to mm. realizing um, the significance of that, and like he sees himself in that moment. But we don't have him 
we don't give them an opportunity to make any choices to indicate, to show us mm. that how that landed until that scene. So that was the other thing, is that scene needed to be a significant self-sacrifice. Um, and how do, you, how do you make your character make a significant self-sacrifice and not be dead? <laughs> well, you kill him over and over again, and then just end on, on, a, on a not killed part. Absolutely. Um, and and the, uh, the idea of, um, uh, of Strange being someone who's dropped into this mystical war, that he doesn't want a part of it, that's something that's very interesting to me as well. He's someone that the, the plot almost happens around initially until he takes an active part in it towards the end. Yeah, and I, I I like that about him. I like that. Um, I mean, you know, obviously his motive is is mostly selfish, and that mm. he's you know he's he's all about himself, and and he did go there just to get his to get his hands healed, and uh, but at the same time, I, I really buy his argument of I'm a doctor, you know, I swore an oath to do no harm, and and I think uh, one of the things that you know. Uh, as long as I'm involved in the MCU and as long as I'm involved with this character that I'll be very protective of is that he never stops being a medical doctor, you know, because it's not the kind of thing one gets to stop being. Once you're a doctor, you're always a doctor, yeah. you know. And and if you know anybody who's changed profession, professions and was a doctor, they don't stop being. Like Ken Jong on Community, my best yeah. friend is Joel McHale. Ken uh-huh. Jong's a medical doctor. Yeah. And Joel has so many great stories of things happening on set where he had to be the doctor on set, you know, and he had to he'd be like, oh, okay, watch out, move over, move aside, everybody, let me deal with this. And uh, and I just love that Ken Jong's a doctor, you That's know, the, the funniest guy on television. Um, but you also have a moment where, where Strange tries to um, he tries to take part in the surgery on the ancient one, and he can't do it. And I, I also love the fact you don't resolve; he doesn't. His hands don't heal. Yeah, he I chooses think, not to. I think that that's that's um, so so critical, and, and that's a, a symbol. I think that's not so heavy handed and yet easily gettable, even for you know, even for a, a young you know uh, you know less uh, literary audience member. I think that they will get the idea that he's still broken, you know, and and that it, it, that to me is. At the heart of why I think I always connected with that character, I love the origin story. I love everything he goes through, but all the way through the comics, he's just a broken guy. He's a guy who he suffers. You know, he's a guy in pain. He's struggling all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's never somebody who who um, gets much of a, of a of a reprieve. And so, ending this incredible journey with him, you know, holding his hand out and his hand is still shaking. And it's symbolizing that that what was taken from him and the brokenness, the way that broke who he was as a person was going to remain broken. I thought was was really um, important for the future of understanding that character. Um, I mean, like, you know, I'm friends with uh, this husband wife couple uh, 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 called, who are in a band called Over the Rhine. Beautiful musicians beautiful band and they have a song my favorite song of theirs is called all my favorite people are broken you know and it's such a it's such a good phrase because it's true all my favorite people are broken people in some ways and you don't get unbroken you know you just you just live with it there's a, there's another interesting choice uh at the end of the film uh where he doesn't become at least not first the sorcerer supreme at the end of the movie he's certainly the, the master of the new york sanctum but yeah he, yeah, was it talk about elevating to that position, or is he just not ready at this point? We we had we had script versions of that um, where he became 
Sorcerer Supreme and where, where, where even the justification of the Ancient One extending her life, part of the reason was looking for a worthy predecessor. And uh, we just had so many <laughs> problems with that. I remember the first version that we had when we were like reading it through, you know, where she, where she says, I'm laughing because I'm just now remembering this, where, where uh, he, he, where she says, you know, um, the, the, the reason, you know, I had to stay alive all this time was to find a, a worthy successor, you know, to become Sorcerer Supreme. And, and you know why, and Kevin Feige goes, and, and you know why it's you, right, Stephen? He's like, no, why? He goes, because well, you're white. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I, I remember bursting out laughing. I go, okay, I guess we're getting rid of that idea. You know, because it was just like, well, why the hell is it not Wong? He's, he knows a lot more than, more than, more than strange. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this is bad. This is not going to work. Yeah. Um, but it also felt premature. You know, the guy, the guy, you know, because the movie takes place in real time, uh, um, once he's blown through to the New York Sanctum, I mean, he's only been, he's only sort of accepted his role as a, as a, as a sorcerer in, in conflict for, for, you know, 24 hours. Mm. Uh, so he's a long way from being Sorcerer Supreme. And I do think that it, it, it only makes sense that Wong would be the, the new Sorcerer Supreme before Strange would be the new Sorcerer mm. Supreme. It just, you watch the movie and it's like, mm. of course that would be the case. Mm. So, um, and I, and I like the fact that they took, a long time in the comics. I think they took like 10 years. I think the co- comics ran for like 10, 10 years or something like that before he ever actually became the Sorcerer Supreme. So and, was, he, and, and people who really know them always refer to him as that, but yeah. that's, it, it was a long journey to get there. So is Wong now the Sorcerer Supreme? No, there, there, there is none. When we're into yeah. Regnum, the position of. is vacant because if it's vacant, I know a few card tricks, so I might throw my hand in. <laughs> I'm just saying. Wow, that's a great idea. Yeah, we haven't we haven't established uh, by what by what uh, criteria the vacancy <laughs> is is filled. It's going to become like Game of Thrones. Um, it's going to be all it's going to be all the uh, all the sorcerers fighting each other. It's going to be like, come like blood sport. Well, I mean, <laughs> they've all got to they've all got to fight each other to see who gets to gets to actually uh, shave their head and become the the new ancient one. Well, but speaking of uh, sorcerers fighting each other, I mean. Uh, let's talk about Mordo a little because he, you know, there's a lot of hints about his background, but he is initially an ally in this film. And that isn't really something that the comics ever took to any great degree. No, the I mean, there were so many challenges in adapting that origin story. Um, obviously, the, the, the race and uh, of the Ancient One and, and Wong and the stereotypes was the biggest one, which... Um, I, I don't know. I just haven't had to answer enough questions about that so far. Uh, I hope you guys ask me about it because <laughs> I've just never had a chance to address that. Um, yeah, it's like but, a gay Sulu with Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, with with Mordo, the the problem was you know just the incredible archness of the villainy in the comics. I mean, he starts off already a complete villain, already completely malevolent, and the Ancient One knows it and is just keeping. You know, keeping his enemy closer than his than than his friends, and uh, I certainly didn't think that was going to work, and I don't think it works dramatically in the comics. Um, and so the idea of it was to, you know, was to to take our time, really take our time, to come to understand who who he was as a person, and and what it w- what it was that led him to break enough to be an actual sorcerer and to be a student of the ancient one and to break significantly enough to become a formidable 
villain later in the movies. And and the idea for me is a complex one, and I'm really happy with the way it is in the movie. And it's it's a complex one that is there for the observing if 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 you're observant. It's not obvious, but he is um it's it's very ideological. And to me there's a great uh commentary in Mordo's character about fundamentalism. He's a fundamentalist. And fundamentalism is such a pejorative word and immediately evokes images of angry extremism. And that's, in my experience, not usually what it looks like. Mm. Um, I was a fundamentalist in high school. I went to a fundamentalist uh, you know, Christian high school and was part of a fundamentalist Christian church and it was very cult-like. And uh, gosh, they were the greatest people. And there was a community, a sense of community there that was that was amazing. Um, the problem with it is is when uh, when the messiness of real life enters in, and the inflexibility of a moral code cannot cope with uh, uh, the realities of choosing lesser evils, with the realities mm-hmm. of moral relativism, with the realities of um, of a life where you get backed into making uh you know cho- choosing choosing the lesser evil having to make compromises having to to um uh be flexible morally flexible because because the world is so imperfect and he does not accept that, that as a, as a possible choice and when somebody does what Mordo has done which is comes from a, a, a I think a probably a violent past and gives themselves completely over to a extraordinarily strict moral code rooted in an authority figure. That's cultism, that's fundamentalism, that's how it works. And and the process of breaking out of that is a violent one. Mm. And so when he becomes disillusioned with the ancient one and her hypocrisy or duplicity um, in his mind... Uh, and when then you know his his dialogue with Strange is so fascinating to me when he says, you know, Strange says she she was complicated, and he says complicated. You know, she taught us it was forbidden to draw from the dark dim- dimension while she did it for to keep stay alive for centuries. And he says, and her transgression led the zealots to Dormammu. Caecilius is her fault. He is a hundred percent right. Yeah. yeah. And strange when he says she did what she thought she was right and she kept the world for safe for 700 years, he's right. Mm. And the difference is that strange can accept that contradiction and the moral complexity of all of that without it breaking him as a breaking him down as a person. Mordo then goes and fights alongside him because if it's the end of all human civilization if he doesn't, but afterwards he cannot cope with it. And that's why the big jump to the tag is yeah. so interesting because for me, it makes total sense. Now, I think for some people, it'll throw them, but for me, it was just like, yeah, once, once you break away from that kind of fundamentalist thinking, um, you are very likely going to go down your own brand of closed-minded thought into something dangerous, mm. which is what he does. You mm. know? And so then, then he becomes, he becomes the, the, fundament, the anti-fundamentalist fundamentalist of... I know what's wrong with the world. Too many sorcerers. And he looks crazy. He looks like he's lost his mind in that shot, you know? And and I think that that was the idea, was to be able to set him up, to set up a psychology 
and to realize that even though he was was strong, he was in fact very fragile, mm-hmm. and 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 it broke him. And the, uh, as you say, it, that's revealed in the uh, in the the second of two post credit stings. Correct. Uh, uh, I'm intrigued by the placement of of that. Yeah. Uh, traditionally, I would have thought that would have been the one that ends the movie or the, uh, comes. Out we the tried that first. We yeah. tested both, and when we tried the first, when we tried the f- to end it with the Mordo one first, it was you know it was um, it's kind of a heavy movie in its own ways, and it's dark, and there's a lot of he- he- a lot of weighty ideas in it, and and I mean there's lots of humor, but just going straight into that Mordo tag was after the credits was pretty pretty dark and heavy and and it, it and it just didn't play well you know and and I think it was a bit confusing like w- what happened to him like how did he get from from I'll pa- follow this path no more to I'm going to kill sorcerers I'm going to take Pangborn's power it it felt like it was too connected to the movie yeah mm. so those and extra couple of minutes sort of those power. extra couple of minutes you know Phil you know he says I've been away for months and so you know something has happened to him and and I and I think we'll probably have to explain that you know what was it exactly that happened in his thinking in in that in the meantime but it was it was the need for the lift up of the Thor scene because it was just so fun to see you know, uh, Thor and in, in his street clothes talking to Doctor Strange in the Sanctum. And the audience, I think, loved that. And then the twist of this gritty, you know, uh, weird scene at the end then just becomes a, a, a fun a fun way to end it because it, it just points at another darker, inexplicable, weirder aspect of yeah. Doctor Strange. Did uh, you direct the Thor scene or was that Taika? Taika directed the Thor scene. I directed the Mordo scene. Right. Yeah. I, but I wasn't on set for that. And and interestingly enough, I'll say this too, I didn't direct the Stan Lee cameo. I designed the shot, <laughs> and right. I picked the doors of perception. But uh, uh, James Gunn shot that. Um, we all shoot each other's movies. Um, <laughs> James, James Gunn shot four... Stanley cameos for four different movies in Atlanta. So he was he was texting me pictures of the frame. How's this? <laughs> I was like, it looks great, James. Uh, you know, and then and then he was improving stuff, and some of them were great, and some of them were ridiculous. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I used one of the great ones. Uh, we have to let you go soon, um, but I've got a. Uh, should we go to speed round? <laughs> That's good. Sure, do it. So many questions to ask you. Um, Domamu is really interesting to me. Was he? Uh, Always on the table from from day one. Yeah, I, I, well, when I came in to do the movie, I wanted Nightmare to be as he was in the comics, the original villain. But Kevin made a very really cogent case about the trouble with starting with Nightmare um, is to get across the idea of the dream dimension or the nightmare dimension being another dimension. That this movie was cha- it was challenging enough to 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 uh, with that with with what is, I think, already a heavy exp- exposition movie to explain the astral plane, the mirror dimension, um, you know... Yeah, the, the, the whole of the, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these yeah. these things were were, uh, were not easy. And, and the idea of dreams being another dimension, I hope we get into that on the next film, but um, that Dormammu just ended up making the, mo- the, main, the most sense, and he is the most present uh, villain in the Doctor Strange comics. And who voices Dormammu? Uh... A British actor whose name I am forgetting, and Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, interesting. And Benedict did the facial capture for Dormammu. So when you're seeing when you're seeing Dormammu, that's actually Benedict. And the reason for that was twofold. One, well, it's threefold. One, Benedict suggested it. <laughs> I think he, you know, he was like, "Hey, can I play the villain too?" Um, his the awesomeness of his voice. Of course, he was Smog. 
but that's also why we blended it with another actor's voice, just so you never recognized it. But I really wanted him, after the more I thought about it, I wanted him to do it because we weren't going to be able to bring in any other actor who was going to understand that role the way Benedict would. He understood exactly what Dormammu was and where he was coming from. And Dormammu is kind of the ultimate Stephen Strange run amok, the ultimate cosmic narcissist, mm. you know. So there was something, uh, there was some, something uh, great about a, the mirrored relationship between the two of them at the end. Was there any discussion in terms of Dormammu and bringing in a character at this point who seems more powerful than Thanos uh, in terms of how the audience might perceive that? No, I don't think that's a problem because, uh, you know, he was uh, he was stopped. Within five minutes of screen time, <laughs> you know how powerful can he be? You know he he was he was very very powerful, but with one very very open glaring Achilles heel, <laughs> which uh, Strange uh, figured out. He's a he's a he's a dimensional being of his word. Yeah, exactly. He, you know, he just absolutely plays. You bargain, yes, I will bargain with you, Stephen Strange, and I will hold to my word in that. You well, can, but, yeah. but Strange still has the eye too, so yeah. I, you know, Strange, Strange could come back and do it again. You Poke know? him again. Yeah, exactly. He did. He, I think he just wants nothing to do with that. Um, are there any Easter eggs in the New York Sanctum that people should be looking out for as they're crashing through all the display cabinets? And, and so yeah, on? yeah. There's one in the well. In the there's one in the Hong Kong Sanctum. I'll say that. Okay. There's a good one in the Hong Kong Sanctum, actually. And one, one journalist uh, called it out to me and said, was that what I thought it was? I was like, ah, well spotted. Can you elaborate on that? Do you want me to? Oh, wait, absolutely, because I'm watching it again tonight. So yeah, The Staff of One being held by Tina Minura. Ah. Okay. Yeah, That's we had a close-up shot of it, too, but I don't think, I, you know, I don't know that we won't be using the, the extra who, who was holding it, but, but we, we put it in there. Yeah, awesome, <laughs> excellent. And then uh, this is very, very. This is maybe, this may be a, a long shot, but uh, when Stephen has a car accident, he is told about three patients to operate on. Are all of those patients in some way linked to the MCU? We're, we're told at the end there's a lady who's been hit by lightning, and I was wondering if that might be Carol Danvers. Might be. Oh. That one. That one. You're going to have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. So you know everything is going to happen for the next 10 years in the MCU. They don't tell it's me in your shit, head. man. Can I say shit? <laughs> of course yes, you, you can. can. They That's don't tell true. me anything. They don't, they don't care. They, they, no, they, you know, it was one of the benefits of, of, of making such a weird standalone movie is that I really was unencumbered by any of that. It, yeah. it, 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 I, didn't, I, I didn't have to ever struggle to interlace anything from the larger MCU. It was really about, uh, you know, Strange isn't in there yet. I mean, Strange... Yeah. Doesn't doesn't enter, he doesn't enter the MCU until the tag. Yeah, you know, so uh, so there wasn't much to deal with. But uh, um, that one, all I can say is maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and the very very last thing, because uh, people are going to uh, crash in here and, and drag us out forcibly <laughs> in a second, is the magical mystery tour. Yeah. I, I love that sequence. I mean, uh, there are shades for me. I'm a big Sam Raimi fan, big Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 fan. Yeah. There are shades of Ash going through the portal. At yeah. The end. Is there little references to the way Benedict's face wobbles? And- yeah, for sure. I mean, there's um, there there's uh, a lot of that was just straight up weird imagination and concept art and, and, and stuff that I would storyboard and let's try this. And hmm. it, our, our first version of it, I think, was like six minutes long. So it was a whittling down process of what didn't work and what did work. Um, 
but yeah, that that's certainly. Here's the thing, you know, I people people uh, uh, are always bringing up movies that I, I was consciously aware that we were, you know, uh, standing on the shoulder of, sh- shoulders of Inception for the for the for the big, you know, uh, mirror dimension chase. Um, that there's, but at the same time, there's not a single shot in the movie that will really remind you of Inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought that was the tip of a great visual effects iceberg, and I, you know, wanted to. If it, if it is Inception, it's Inception to the ninth degree. In terms of any any other specifics, it's mostly subconscious stuff like that. For sure, that was an influence, but I didn't think about that honestly until now. And it's like, well, yeah, that's probably in, you know, it's an influence because I've seen that movie. Uh, Jodie Foster in Contact, the shaking oh, of, of the head yeah. is yeah. is is taken certainly from that. Um, Lots of Ditko in there, like so much. I mean, that's the primary sort. That's the most conscious stuff. I mean, we would I would look at very specific panels and think I really want to get this in there, and we really what really want to get it to feel like this. And that was always the that was always the jumping off point. And the the whole astral fight with uh, Christine Palmer's is is. Inspired by the oath, there's not a fight scene in there, but but there is a scene in the oath um, when uh, you know Strange leaves his own body during a surgery procedure, yeah. and she's trying to save his life. Okay, and the and the fingers, Scott, the fingers. Where do they come from? The idea of a, a whole body made up of fingers that will stay with me forever. M- uh, mushrooms. <laughs> Those came from mushrooms. Yeah, that you can buy in your local grocery store. I yeah, that's right. Don't oh, do no. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really funny the the, the things that. Um, you know that wasn't one that was drawn from any particular source, but it's just so funny how uh, uh, single moments like that you see it, and you just think, okay, this is really, really weird. Uh, but I, my and my favorite part of that is is that the way the hands crawl up the body and then it flips over and there's his face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I don't know. It's it's great. It's a uh, it's an acid trip. Was there anything? It was too far, too far out, man. No, we never. There was never anything that where where it was like that's just too weird. Uh, that we never reached that point. It was it was more like uh, uh, just things that were that that we thought would be amazing because they would be so weird, and we just couldn't pull it off in a in a textural way that felt mm-hmm. that felt real enough. You know, just things that didn't work, and we ended up with you know whittling it down to its fighting weight based on what things actually worked. But it was the other. But it was also the audience because. I thought that it was going to be a four or five minute scene, yeah. And uh, the audience just couldn't take it. You know, we we could, they would just say, "It's amazing. It's too long. It's amazing. It's too long." And they kept saying that until we got it down to where it is, to mm-hmm. the to the length that it is. And that seemed to be about the right, the right. I think people are ready for it to end <laughs> when, when it ends. You know, because it's such an overload. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, Scott Derrickson, the director of Mr. Doctor. Yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's strange. <laughs> okay, so that was Scott Derrickson, and now it is time for us to chat about the movie. And what we're going to do is, I think the movie's been out in the UK for a couple of days now, by the time we're recording this. Obviously, you're hearing this in November, after the movie's come out in the US. But we have we have had some, a few questions via email and via Twitter that we're going to take. Okay. And they're bouncing all over the shop. Okay, so here we go. And this first one actually ties into something that I've been kicking myself about ever since we interviewed Scott Derrickson. And we talked about the timeline of the movie with him. But I didn't push him on this, and I feel that I should have done. But at the same time, we had other things to talk about. Uh, many people have written in to point out that Stephen Strange gets mentioned by name in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. 
He does. Jasper yes. Sitwell uh, at one point says that uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. slash Hydra are monitoring people of interest. Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange. But this movie appears to take place after Civil War. This is from at Eddie N. said. This movie appears to take place after Civil War. Am I missing something? Now, this is interesting. So many people sent it in. I just mm-hmm. chose Eddie and said as the most recent representation of this question. This is a very good point. Doctor Strange gets mentioned by name as a person of interest in 2014. And this movie, as we established... With Scott. With Scott Derrickson, takes place in 2016. So what giveth? And we didn't ask him that question. Um, I think it's a bit of an oversight. I, I, I think that's that's that is let's be honest the simplest explanation yeah. for this. Um, uh, the other option is is some kind of time travel down the line, perhaps using the eye of Agamotto. Perhaps using the eye of Agamotto. You can always ret- the, uh, the the eye of Retconamoto. <laughs> that's right. Um, but I think I think it does seem to be an oversight. The other uh, option, of course, is that he may have been a person of interest in his life as a world famous neurosurgeon. Precisely. Um, so that's the other way that they can kind of square that circle. But but certainly as a sorcerer it would not appear to be consistent with the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I think the ball was droppethed. Because <laughs> uh, you see Avengers Tower at the beginning, so it clearly there's no way of ever assuming, you know, let's say that award, it said 2016, but actually that was a prop mistake. No, they had Avengers Tower and there was a conscious decision that this was... Well, Avengers Tower is, what, 2012 on Post-2012, yeah. Post-2012. Okay, okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. So it wasn't uh, Tower. Although yes. you don't see a bunch of smoke and rubble around it, so presumably <laughs> there's been a bit of rebuild. So you could have you could have called it 2013, 2014, and I think that would have... But one thing the Marvel made more sense. One thing the MCU's been very consistent about, especially recently, is that if there are flashbacks, it tells you that it's taken place in True. a specific year, whether it's 1987 or 1989 mm. or 1999. So I feel that there were initially rumours, and we talked about this a little bit with Scott Derrickson, and there were initially rumours that this was going to take place over the span of the MCU. Now, that was interesting to me because the idea that you would you would meet Doctor Strange uh, in 2008 as Iron Man's kicking off and... You know, it would give his injury a little bit more time to have uh, emotional mm. impact and really degrade his life. And then you would see him, while other events are taking place in the background, training at Camartage. Now, they chose to set, set it over the course of a year. And in, in its own way, that actually does provide the film with a, an interesting impetus because Strange now has to be very tricky and very, very sneaky and very, very ingenious in terms of how quickly he takes to the the sorcerers, the sorcery stuff, mm-hmm. uh, where he learns to project himself astrally so he can read books while he's sleeping, and of course he talks about the photographic memory. Uh, that's all well and good, and of course, as we know, as we talked about again with Erickson, at the end of this movie, he's by no means the finished article. Yeah, he is a guy who is still just very much. If he was working at McDonald's, he'd probably have two stars in his badge. He doesn't have the full <laughs> five stars. He's mastered the chips and he's mastered the till. Uh, and he can clean as he goes and he's, but he doesn't have everything else he's got the badge for defeating the lord of the dark dimension <laughs> yes we're bargaining yeah that, that's, that's my customer, feeling that, customer care really yeah. isn't it it is customer care yeah but, it, yeah, but I, I agree with Helen I think um, uh, I think it's a, a bit of an oversight uh, which is strange because yeah, there's going to be a lot of that yes sadly um, it is strange because Marvel have been quite careful about dates to the point where you know the the death of the Starks, the the yeah. date of the the start the, the Starks' death, Hart and Maria Stark, is in Iron Man and then pays off in Civil War. The only thing about having a longer timeline is maybe that gives you problems with your villain. Um, so the way this is set up is obviously you know Mordo has now gone rogue and 
uh, and we're kind of seeing that happen presumably off screen between mm. now and the next Doctor Strange movie, assuming there's another standalone, which certainly seems to be the implication of the end. Very much so. Um, if you'd if he'd spent longer at Camartage, you would have pretty much had to see Caecilius go through that same process because yeah. it wouldn't have made a lot of sense for him to, you know, go rogue and then spend eight years doing nothing visible. So maybe it, it makes your villains arc stronger but if it does so at the expense of your hero is that really a win it's not a great trade off um, is it because yeah. the thing is it took me more than a year to get over the extraction of my fucking wisdom teeth do you know what I mean it's like he's had his teeth <laughs> he's had his teeth he's had his hands ruined he has to learn how to be the sorcerer supreme and there's that whole line when he talks to the ancient one it's like how did you become a neurosurgeon it's like practice and many years of study and she's like there you yeah. go but then but the whole point about strange is that he is so arrogant and he is so presumptuous uh and so confident in his own abilities that he can circumvent that by by being sneaky one of the first things he does is you know is learn how to astrally project he could so barely he can do master that. the sling ring and how do we know that he hasn't used the eye of agamotto to just quick <gasps> Hermione Granger yeah. style yeah he's time turned it or Cher style we haven't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he yeah. could find a way yeah he would take back all the things that, that have hurt you yeah yeah and, and you'd stay. say <laughs> is that what it is yeah. you'd say I, I always get that very wrong that's interesting um, so that yeah it, I have to say first time that, and we talked about this the first time I saw this movie I liked the movie I liked it a lot more second time around the circumstances seen the second time around really helped for me it was a much bigger screen much bigger sound system huge audio audience that got really involved mm. whenever he tells um, Rachel McAdams, Scott Derrickson referenced this, when he tells Rachel McAdams to essentially take a hike people literally went this, <gasps> well yeah he's super harsh in super that harsh but that really helped the, 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 the second time around, I really really liked the second time around but the first time I watched it, the timeline thing really threw me for about half an hour because I was going, because this is a close up of the award 2016 and I was thinking, I was going, but Sitwell says in 2014 he's a person of interest. And I would, and hang on, he's referenced Beyonce and Adele, and there's the Avengers Towers. So this is clearly post 2012. What's going on? Uh, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm an adult. I'm You're over so it now. Cool. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm all right. I mean, Beyonce's been around for a while. Let's not mess about. And even Adele, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's they're not like was cutting playing, edge references. What was he playing? Was it single, single ladies? ladies? Yeah, I mean, that's been around for a while. That's what, that's 2013? Yeah. Something like that. I mean, I'm not Dr. Stephen Strange. I don't know when songs are released. <laughs> Not nerd. <laughs> I am a nerd. Nerdy nerd. I'm a big nerd. Uh, here's a question from Luke Kent via email. Dearest podcasters, uh, I have a burning question for the Doctor Strange Sporter special. Uh, which is better, the batch with a full beard or the batch with his magician's goatee? Neither. I didn't like the full beard. At least I, I'm generally pro beards. That one was not a great beard. But that was a... Um, that was I've lost my way beard, wasn't it? Was yeah. a, it was a scraggly I'm ill beard. It was a personal crisis <laughs> <Yeah>. beard. <laughs> it he's, was a cry for help beard. He's no Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> he's no Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> uh, but then he decides to have a goatee. I liked it without the goatee. I'm a little bit suspicious of men with perfectly shaved goatees. Like it's, you know... Come Maybe on. he grooms with magic. <laughs> no, well, we, we probably him, doesn't we see use him shave. the Gillette Fusion yeah, Stealth he li- extra He macro. likes shaving. That's the whole thing, that he really <sighs> likes shaving, and he's lost that with his hands. So yeah. So now he uses magic. So now he uses magic. Well, okay, then I'm back on board. Yeah. Imagine what his pubes are like. No. Ollie Stead has a question. In Doctor Strange, was the reference to the injured army colonel a reference to Rhodey? Yes, I picked this up uh, when I first saw it. That was my immediate first thought. Mm. And then, see, it was funny because we had discussion because you hadn't picked that one, but then you thought the next one might have been a reference to Captain Marvel. Well, I think they're all references to something. And as Scott Derrickson 
virtually confirmed without actually confirming that the third one is Carol Danvers, yeah. a.k.a. Captain Marvel, uh, which is interesting. A woman who's been struck by lightning. Yeah. The second one, I've seen it twice, but I don't know who that is. I, I can't even remember what it is, so people will presume Yeah, we, we were having a discussion about this. We couldn't remember yeah. if it was an old man or an old woman. So well yeah. done, us. I think it's an old woman. Um, Carol Danvers is interesting, though, because they had said that Captain Marvel would be an origin story. So mm-hmm. are they going to have timeline problems with her as well? If she's been struck by lightning... Mm. in air quotes in 2016 how do they tell an origin that's contemporary in 2018 maybe they don't maybe they have a flashback maybe then yeah we'll see what happens but, see what happens. Yeah, but yeah you know just something to keep an eye on there guys <laughs> the roadie thing I've actually seen the sequence three times because I saw the 15 minute preview as well I've seen the sequence three times the roadie thing passed me by every single time <laughs> I was just going man of experimental armour who's that a reference to who could possibly have been injured in experimental armour in the most recent thing the most recent MCU you must be wondering as well though um you know, Doctor Strange is obviously a preeminent surgeon, a really, really good guy, but Rhodey gets injured in Germany. Yes. So are they really going to fly him to New York? Then but again. More than that, he's a neurologist and he doesn't have a neurological injury. He has a spinal injury. He you wouldn't speak to a neurologist for that, I wouldn't think, would you? Paul McCartney plays guitar, surgeon. bass, piano, drums. <laughs> it's like, Strange is like know, that. Like, if it was it, Iron Man, it, he'd need a cardiologist. Isn't it a nerve injury? I don't see any readers who happen to be neurosurgeons. Please do tell us, would you see a neurosurgeon for a spinal injury? I'm saying no, but I'm not one. So No. What kind of what kind of surgeon does that then? A back surgeon for backs. You can't see it, but I'm I'm arching an eyebrow at James right now. <laughs> Am I not convincing you with my not entirely, but I thought Finally he should have. Honed. I thought he he was the kind of guy who actually would have called himself in to treat Tony's heart condition. And I know he's not a cardiologist, but I still <laughs> think he would he would like be like, dudes, I can handle this. No, Doctor anyway. Wu has got to be the guy. Got to be the guy. Um, Stephen Jessup asks, do you think the film would have benefited from a more out there score? I kept hearing recycled phrases from Chikino's Star Trek theme during the big moments. Would a Rick Wakeman esque keyboard solo during the film's trippier sequences not have been more fitting? They saved it for the credits, as I recall. The credits yeah. had a Doors esque organ and it had like sort of screaming 60s guitars I mean it was quite trippy but they did save it for the for the credits I did hear a couple of little bits of the sort of the kettle drums from from Star Trek but not a okay. huge amount just just little touches here and there in the background um, I, I like Chikino though I, th- I thought it was good yeah I think I think that Master of the Mystic Arts theme is fantastic mm-hmm. and genuinely hasn't been off the uh, off of stereo since we, we first heard it um, and you can I think you can lay all the 60s psychedelica on a little too thickly yeah you know I mean if you start having the doors play while he's having his little vision quest, it might be a little unnecessary. Let's just take a second to to talk about what an achievement it is to get a movie like this that is as coherent and entertaining Mm. as it is, uh, because God knows this is a very, very difficult one to land. Marvel are 14 films in, and they know how to do this stuff inside out now. But this could have been a disaster. But isn't this... I found the most interesting thing. It has taken them 14 films to build up such a bulletproof sort of veil of confidence that they can put a film like this out there because it's an incredibly risky thing to do mm. it's an incredibly risky proposition as a standalone to make money but also because it causes ripples throughout the whole MCU because it changes the fabric of the universe that mm. they've created it yeah. introduces the multiverse it introduces magic now it may seem ridiculous that you can believe that you know the Hulk will team up with a Norse god and a 98 year old super soldier but do you know what I mean magic is 
taking it a little bit far. It works and they carry it off perfectly, but that's a big risk. It is, an, it is actually an achievement. I think yeah. people underestimate how difficult it can be to unite sci-fi and fantasy mm. successfully because they're always put on the same shelf of the bookstore. <laughs> but they're very, very different disciplines and it's kind of interesting. Well, of course, they've, they've been, I think, laying the foundations for this for a while sure. with the magic, not science, or magic and science uh, analogy thing. in yep. Thor. Uh, what you think is magic, we think is science and so on. But what's interesting about the, the Thor reference is that even Thor in that little post-credit or mid-credit sting is is visibly a bit weirded out by Strange. So it's it's weirder than the Asgardians are used to, which I find kind of interesting. And I think I think that's important. I think he has to take it a little bit further mm. than they did. Oh yeah, but theirs is different, isn't it? Because the Asgardians essentially, my understanding, it's future tech masquerading as magic, isn't it? It's technology based. Their stuff is whereas his is multi-dimensional. So there's an aspect certainly of the spiritual to it. So okay, it's well, more. There's a there's a tendency that they've been playing with dimensions as mm. well though so it's not that they're, they're not unaware of that but I think yeah he's gone further definitely yeah. what well, I really liked about the magic thing was where how they didn't fall down to that trap that they often do of using how far special effects have come to make magic look convincing do you know what I mean I like the geometric shapes which are Rick straight out of the comics I mean Steve Ditko's art is very much it's geometrics it's rhombuses and triangles and glowing things I thought that was a really nice way of doing it and it maintained a level of sort of you know the eldritch which differentiated itself from for example the powers that say Scarlet Witch has which mm. now you look at and you think okay now I understand that, those are powers this is magic and there is a distinction mm. Mm. Absolutely. But they've also laid the foundations as well with um, the quantum realm at the end of Ant-Man, which yeah. is a very trippy mm. sequence. And what was interesting, I thought, about Doctor Strange is that it's a very visually stunning film. And I love the magical mystery tour, as Scott Derrickson <laughs> called it. Uh, I would love to see the six-minute version of that and just see how weird it gets. But what's interesting is, for me anyway, that beyond that, it's not a completely weird film. A few people have said already it sticks to the template of Iron Man and Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is fair. And I think you have to take the audience by the hand at a certain point. You have to lead them in to the unfamiliar through the familiar. Otherwise, you risk run a risk of alienating an entire swathe of the movie-going public right away. Yeah. So you, you get them in and then you hit them with the trippy stuff. And then you you slow it down a little bit again. It's a bit more conventional, and then it gets a little bit trippier towards the end. And I loved the uh, the backwards fight at the end. I thought it was really interesting. Oh, that was just well, great. Yeah, really interesting. But um, it's a bit like Deadpool. The Deadpool could have been absolutely balls out, meta, fourth wall breaking bonkersness, and it it is. But it also holds back, and it's very conventional in, in some points as well, because you don't want, with your first go-round particularly, I think, to go to fully embrace the Gonzo. Well, Helen pointed this out uh, when we came out of the screening, which I thought was a nice touch, that Marvel constantly being accused of just destroying cities at the end of every film, and at the end of this one, they rebuild one, which is lovely, Yeah, uh, by playing all in reverse. I thought that was a, was a nice spin on expectation. Absolutely, as a hero trying to fix the devastation yeah. uh, wrought by the villain. Uh, we'll talk about the Dormammu sequence and the uh, the introduction of Dormammu as well, which I, th- I find is very interesting. I got a couple of questions about that from people later on. Uh, Logan J. Nicholson asks, Hello to all the mystics in the pod. Where do you think Mads Mikkelsen's character... Caecilius ranks in terms of the MCU villains Hall of Infamy. Um, probably mid table, well below Loki, well above um, Malekith. Uh, well, <laughs> is he? I don't know. He's he's a rung below Obadiah Stane for me. I just oh yeah, I, Obadiah. I think right. he's good because Matt Mickelson is awesome, and I think he brings a brilliant 
personality and humour to a, a role that frankly has no substance to it. I think it's a very underwritten villain and were it not for Mads I think you know that could have been a real problem for the film but brilliant casting completely overwrites that and, and, and he carries it off but I don't think he's yeah he's not in the, the villainous hall of fame for me. Well, he doesn't have a lot to do it's not the villain story I mean one of the reasons that I think Loki popped in the MCU is because Thor is this obviously it's Thor's story but a large part of it is Loki's story mm. as well and there's a lot of focus on Loki mm. and a lot of focus on, on the, the family triangle between Loki and Odie and Thor Loki and Odie and Thor? Who's Odie? Odin <laughs> Odin and Thor Uh and this is very much Strange's story, I think, to the detriment of many of the supporting characters in yeah. this film. Uh, and Caecilius is certainly one of those. He has that big moment, that big confrontation, that, that really nice dialogue scene uh, between uh, he and Strange in uh, the Sanctum Sanctorum in New York. And that's lovely. But the rest of the time, he's basically just waving at stuff. And I wanted more of him. But then if you get more of him, it's a two and a half hour movie. And the balance of the hero falls out of of whack. It's a it's a tight rope to walk. But yeah, for me, he's yeah he's he's mid table. If we're counting Kingpin, Kingpin, Loki, and then you know yeah yeah definitely. Well, Kingpin, you know what I love. Yeah. Um, someone uh, Obi Mu has has suggested uh, imagine the film if Cumberbatch and Mickelson were swapped around casting wise. He he thinks that would be a more interesting take. And it, it's kind of fascinating to play that game. Actually, I'd quite like to see that. Maybe yeah. they could uh, do a concept movie. Maybe, some- yeah, that would that would be strange. Oh, God. Oh. Uh, Taylor McWaters asks, "Hey guys, do you think the introduction of the time Infinity Stone was forced in this movie, or does it happen naturally?" I liked it. I thought it was quite it's, clever. Yeah, well, it's central to the the story, and then you find out ridiculous that none of us I don't think had guessed have you guessed I didn't no. guess I'm a complete idiot mental that we didn't guess yeah uh, it's it a glowing thing that is a different colour to all the Infinity Stones it does incredible <laughs> things in a Marvel Universe where we know there are two more to be found and, and we, we know we, one of them's a time gem and we know one of them's a time gem and there's a man controlling time with a glowing stone and we're going oh is he Eye of Agamotto but perhaps that's because the Eye of Agamotto is an artefact in the comics and it isn't an Infinity Stone so you just mo- don't make yeah. the connection and yeah. I think I mean uh, Derrickson's point that he made in our, our interview about needing to slightly limit the Eye of Agamotto's abilities. Not not that we know for sure it's limited, but needing to limit its focus so it's not yeah. just a get-out-of-jail-free card, mm, yeah. I think, makes makes sense. And it does mean that, yeah, we, we totally didn't even think about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it's exciting. It's exciting and slightly worrying because presumably at some point for things to look pretty bad... Thanos has to have his hands on at least most of the Infinity Stones, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, as you know, I'm I'm very, very invested in the well-being of the Vision, and I worry that he's going to have to be like shattered before that point can He'll be just reached. Be asked Give me the Infinity Stone. No, and potentially now Doctor Strange will have to be defeated before the Infinity uh, the gauntlet is, is assembled now uh, I mean we could kind of predict that anyway everybody's going to be defeated individually and then hopefully they'll all band together what if they don't what if the end of Infinity War Part 2 <laughs> whatever it's going to be called is just Thanos in his space toilet taking a massive space poo and all the dead Avengers and that's it and that's how it ends and there's nothing beyond that and all the films they've announced for 2020 and beyond that's just a smokescreen that would certainly be an answer to the critics who say that you know <laughs> Marvel isn't willing to take risks. Thanos even turns the camera and goes, the end. And that's it. There's no post credit staying. There's nothing. Anyway, I just worry for Strange now as well as the Vision. It's very upsetting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
naturally, you, well, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs, right? But oh, you monster. I would say that the the throwaway introduction of the concept of the Eye of Agamotto as an Infinity Stone, that felt a little bit crowbarred in there. But I like the idea of the Eye of Agamotto being an Infinity Stone. And I like the idea of a couple of these things being on Earth. It makes it makes uh, yeah. it makes it believable that Thanos will be getting onto the space equivalent of uh, TripAdvisor and <laughs> and planning his 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 route to Earth. So we've now seen five. Yes, there are five uh, now in the MCU. One more to go. They've said that it won't be discovered in Guardians of the Galaxy two. So I would put money on it being discovered in Thor Ragnarok. And which one is the remaining one? So the Tesseract is the space stone, which okay. makes sense because you can travel with it. Where is that at the moment? Uh in Asgard? That's back in Asgard. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the ether is the reality stone. The ether is the reality stone. And now, last where we is saw that? that, was that being delivered to the collector? That was being delivered to the collector. And it survived the little explosion in one of his collections. It did. And that was the one he went one down, five to go at the Aha! end of Thor The Dark World. Okay. So presumably he still has that. So one of the others he nearly got his hands on, of course, yes. is the orb, the power stone, uh-huh. which is nigh on with Nova Prime. Nova Prime. Glenn, okay. Clo- Glenn Close has it. She Glenn keeps Close has it. it. She wears it at all times. I'm not worried about her. She's got things under control. The mind stone, Loki's scepter originally, now the vision. Mm-hmm. Oh, the vision. It's in the vision's forehead. Yes. have to pour a lot of paprika on him to get rid of that. Um, and then... And now the time stone, the eye of Agamotto, which is in the sanctuary of Camartage. Leaving the... The soul, soul stone, stone, correct. Which, if memory serves in the comics, is the possession of Adam Warlock. Oh. I believe. Yeah. But they said that it won't be in Guardians 2. But... Well, if it was Adam Warlock, he'd really only appear, I would have thought. Oh, having said that... also know that... Thor is looking for it, right? We know that Thor is aware of the Infinity Stones and Thor is aware, as revealed at the end, uh, end of Age of Ultron, he is aware that there is a dark force uh, trying to assemble all the Infinity Stones. So I would imagine that it'll, it'll show up in Thor Ragnarok. But it also, I have to ask this question at this point, what the hell is that movie going to be? Thor Ragnarok is possibly the most exciting unknown quantity for me in the MCU because it has a brilliant director, Taika Waititi. Amen. Uh, it has... A wonderful cast. I mean, you know, regardless of who, who you know, the, the people we already know about, so Hemsworth and uh, Hiddleston and Anthony Hopkins and all that crowd. We also have Kate Blanchett and Carl Urban and Jeff Goldblum and people like that. We have the Hulk in there as well. We know it's going to be largely cosmic. But we also know, thanks to the sting of this movie, that part of it's going to take place on Earth in New York with Thor and Loki searching for Odin which is interesting in itself given how Thor The Dark World finishes. Mm. I know. So, what the hell is that movie going to be? It's very exciting for me. And meanwhile, you've got Taika saying things like, oh, I'm not really linking it to the rest of the (laughs) the MCU. It's Uh like, I think you might be, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so... Just a little bit. Yeah, Ginny Rickon, Dickie Davis, (laughs) Tutankhamun. Um, It's... Yeah, I'm excited about that film, but whoa, you know that's a lot of stuff to get in there. So he's got to team up with the Hulk. Got to have a sort of we think there's going to be a Planet Hulk esque element in there, a sort of gladiatorial combat thing. We got Kate Blanchett as as uh, Hela, the the overall baddie. We got the whole thing to resolve with Loki being a bit of an arsehole and banishing his dad to Earth. And how is this going to resolve itself? And now we presume that Doctor Strange will show up in this movie and play a bit of a part in that as well. 
So they kept that under wraps. Well done them. Yes. And you've got Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie to introduce as well. Mm. So, uh, yeah, another element for the mix. Uh, yeah, it's super exciting. Um, I like Thor. The, I liked Thor: The Dark World, which no nobody else does. Chris likes so. Thor: The Dark World. I like yeah, Thor well, we Dark. like for Thor: The Dark World. Nobody else does. No, with good yeah. reason. But oh. uh, <laughs> hang on, you were slagging off Mal Keith a minute ago. Yeah, well, Mal Keith's uh, rubbish. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I don't like the film. I mean, come on. Anyway, yeah, he does. Hangs, he does. He goes into someone's home with a mallet. He goes, yeah, he goes into someone's home and he hangs up Mjolnir on a on a on a on a peg. As is polite. The peg is worthy. <laughs> the peg is worthy. That's true. So that peg now possesses the power of Thor. It, yeah, well, no, but they had that discussion at the end of uh, Civil War. Was it Civil War? Uh, Ultron. Well? Ultron. Ultron. Um, you know, if if you left Mjolnir in a in an in a lift. But it the doesn't mean the lift up. is worthy. The yeah. lift goes up, but it doesn't mean the lift is worthy. I think it does. The lift someone, possesses the power of Thor. Someone asked, and I didn't write down for this because it was just a general question for the podcast, but let's tackle it now. Someone asked uh, if following the offence of Civil War, if uh, Thor did that again and got the other Avengers to try and lift Mjolnir, would Steve Rogers make it move this time? You know I think he would. You know I think he's in the right for Civil War, and I'm not going to have this discussion with you again and tell you how wrong you are again. <laughs> Oh, are you are you Team Tony? I'm Team Tony. He's uh, are like you he died in the world team? What's Tony. wrong with you? I think uh, I think Steve did a bad thing. Wow, you're a massive fascist. I didn't I know that. I'm not a massive fascist. Steve hid. Anyway, this is a this is a Doctor Strange discussion. It is not a Civil War discussion. We'll we'll have that another time. Uh, Valerie Lung asks uh, should there be some sort of alert for audiences to stay until the screen goes to black at the end of all the credits? I went to a midnight screening in Sydney. You'd assume that's where diehard fans go, but there were still a couple of people who left after the mid-credits sting. I know some journalists who left before the first tag. Now, that should be sackable at this point. Um, <laughs> at this point, surely <laughs> yeah. we just know the routine. I, at this, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no excuse and there should be no need for an announcement. If you leave before they've turned the lights on after a Marvel movie, it's all your own fault. <laughs> the difficult thing is when they do this with other movies because they do do it and I've missed many many credit stings by leaving before the end of the credits because you can't assume they're going to be in most films Marvel movies absolutely it's going to be there but lots of other ones it becomes a bit like oh, do I go and get my phone back from security before the rush or do I yeah. wait and see you know yeah. I missed one in Pacific Rim because I didn't I didn't think there would be one there was one in Pacific Rim yeah um, so uh, Ron Perlman uh, his character emerges I believe I still haven't seen it uh, his character emerges from the, the belly of one of the, the, the baby kaiju that eats him or the, oh. the dead kaiju that eats him Interesting. Um, of course he does he can't kill Ron Perlman that yeah, easily he's, he's proper uh, proper alive uh, Valerie Lung has another question I've seen the movie twice still not exactly clear on how Caecilius is dark magic is more powerful inside the mirror universe when the ancient one had said things that happen inside the mirror universe has no impact on the real universe I don't uh, think it is James has got this I'm, I'm, I'm going to say my un- interpretation of this is that the mirror universe is like a slightly shifted parallel dimension to Earth so obviously anything that happens in the mirror universe won't affect Earth because it is a separate dimension however its proximity to the dark dimension presumably means the barriers are weaker therefore because he draws his power from the dark dimension he's closer to the source of his power thereby making him more powerful in the mirror dimension that was going to be my explanation too <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, I love it. It's I funny because that's where I draw most of my dark power, so I have experience on this. <laughs> I absolutely love he it. He actually I mean, does. He does. He, he, it's really true. He, it's, it's very scary. No, I think I, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's very powerful inside the Mirror Universe, but I think this may be a reference to Mordo's line about how we can be killed in here. Um, 
Uh, and that seems fairly clear to me. You know, it's like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. If you die inside a dream, you die in real life. Mm. And if you die inside the mirror universe, you die in yeah, real life I as well. I don't think it's a dream. They literally move, I think, to this other dimension. So they're still corporeal. They can still of course, die. Yeah. They're just in a different place. Whereas yeah. astrally, it's slightly different because yeah. that's they're actually in a different form. They're not physically in another dimension. They're oh, projected. no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's an analogy. Yeah, so was mine. Yeah. Okay, okay. good, good. Um... Yeah, the Mirror Universe stuff is all very interesting. And uh, the idea, we talked about this a little bit with Scott Derrickson, that the uh, an interesting twist, I thought, that the Ancient One is uh, drawing power from Dormammu and from the Dark Dimension as well. I thought that was a very interesting wrinkle. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the first word that uh, Caecilia says in the movie is to her, and it's hypocrite. And then we wait over an hour to see why. It's uh, nice, I like that. Yeah. yeah. It's a really interesting wrinkle about the idea that even, you know, in the face of overwhelming odds that even great leaders have to compromise in order to get results. Like we saw in Lincoln. (laughs) (laughs) With great power comes great responsibility and indeed the ends justify the means and has anyone else got a cliched catchphrase? No, you seem to have them all covered. Yeah. Uh, Oh, wait. Let's take a look at what you could have won. Thanks, Chris. That's a good you one. You could have won the Dark Dimension. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What do we What do we make of uh, Tilda Swinton and the Ancient One? And uh, you know, I think that in a, in a movie where Strange dominates, she is the other shining light mm. of this movie. I really, really liked her, but then that's because she's Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Um, she, there was a lot of talk about whitewashing. Honestly, I think they kind of missed the point. I think had they cast Ken Watanabe as I believe they were originally looking at, or had they gone for that slightly hoary sort of Asian guru stereotype. That in many ways is a bit more racist. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not a great archetype to be recycling. In the same way that Wong is originally the kind of pus partu, you know, oh. sort of like Asian sidekick, and it's just like it's Absolute. that's dreadful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm much happier that they decided to make her a female and b sort of Celtic and just yeah. do a different spin on that. Also, she was very peppy and funny and had loads of personality and she kicked loads of ass. What's yeah. not to love? Are we sure she's acting when she does these roles? <laughs> you think she's the ancient one? <laughs> I, I mean, I just don't think we can rule it out. She's just a very serene, very, very cool, very striking personality. And uh, I think she's great. Uh, I've gone camping with her. It's That's true. <laughs> glamping, I believe. <laughs> glamping. Glamping. Yeah. It's, Tilda Swinton does not camp. She glamps. <laughs> it's just No, a, she probably does camp, you know. You think? Yeah. She might do. She's. I think she's quite down with that kind of yeah. thing, isn't she? She's very earthy. But she gets. She gets out of this very well, which is more than can be said for poor old Rachel McAdams, who has nothing. Who to has say. absolutely no purpose in this film, um, and it's a real shame because she's such a good actress, and she gave what little that part had her all. But I mean, God, that was thankless. Yeah. I mean, why? <laughs> um, the Ancient One has a very interesting uh, death scene. I, I really like that, that uh, sort of uh, elegaic moment where uh, you mm. see everything in slow motion and uh, she's stretching mm. out her final moments. Um, so much talk, obviously, about Marvel killing people and bringing them back. I've got a feeling this one's going to stick. I, I think it has to, yeah. Because if she... If she exists, it's kind of like it's the same way. Stick with me here. That the, the same reason that Disney always kills off the mum in animated films. If your mum's there, nothing really terrible can happen to yeah. you, and you'll be okay. Is the, is the kind of thinking, the, the kind of feeling that we have. Mm. So if you take away the mother, then Bambi or whoever has to face the big cruel world on their own. And in this case, Doctor Strange is Bambi, uh, and he now has to step up in her absence. Yeah. The training wheels are off. You're on your own. 
deal with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, no Force Ghost, no Obi-Wan Kenobi coming back and no. delivering exposition in the sequels or further appearances down the line. Um, there's, a, there's a lovely impact and that scene is really, really lovely uh, as well. So uh, I think the Ancient One is gone. Let her go. And also, it, 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 yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's strange at the end when he's on his own in the Sanctum Sanctorum at the, in New York, as we established with, with, uh, with Derrickson, he is not the Sorcerer Supreme at that point mm. uh, and he won't be for many years clearly there's a there's a time jump between that and the tag in Thor Ragnarok yeah there does um, seem to be which comes out in November 2017 so you'd imagine maybe eight, nine maybe even a year uh, has elapsed so he's clearly evolved but he's not the Sorcerer Supreme the Sorcerer Average the 2-2 of yeah. Sorcerer Schools do you think the source is supreme? Smells of garlic. Although if it takes a place over a year and the beginning of the film is 2016, then actually the film should be ending around the same time that Ragnarok comes out. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm glad we've cleared that up. Think? So if Ragnarok is also set in the <sighs> then present day, yeah. then actually there's no time lapse. But hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because Scott Derrickson said fall to fall, right? Yes. Autumn to autumn. But we know that st- the first autumn is autumn 2016. So it ends in yeah. 2017. So but, it has to end in autumn 2017. But the call he gets is about... <laughs> the call he gets is about Rhodey, right? Let's assume that the call is okay. about Rhodey. But Civil War, the offence of Civil War happened in the early spring of 2016. So... I don't know. No, but they might have been trying to do what they can with him first and they call Strange in after a while. You don't necessarily get, I believe, operated on immediately with... with that kind of injury, maybe? Yeah. There has to be swelling and stuff has to go down. And presumably, since he is a neurosurgeon, they've been to the chiropractor first, and now <laughs> now they're wheeling him in. So Chiropractor. Yeah. Wow, that is a fascinating medical approach. Take a Thank look you. at the chart, Mr. Rhodes. Is it, is it better now? <laughs> is it better now? Uh, Sack Gross asks, a couple of years ago, the powers that be at Marvel said they wouldn't be doing any more origin stories. Obviously, they had it back down flat in the case of Doctor Strange. Why do you think this is? Do you think other upcoming movies such as Captain Marvel will also be forced to start at the very beginning despite a desire to move beyond the formula? Well, they have said now that Captain Marvel will be an origin movie, as we as we kind of touched on before. So, yeah, it does seem like they're going to have to still do some. I uh, would like them to find other approaches where possible, um, and just assume that everybody understands what an origin is and, and kind of drop us in it a little bit more. But, you know, I, I understand that there are pressures of storytelling, clarity and so I on. I rather like origin stories. I like to know how things begin. But I think there's something to be said for, you know, the Jessica Jones approach where she just is. Do you know what I mean? You join her and she just is. Yeah, I've got powers. And you don't even know that straight away. You know, it's kind of a nice thing. And then there's the Luke Cage one where, again, he just is, though you go back via flashbacks and yeah. see where he came from. So I guess there are different ways of doing it, but... Yeah. yeah, there are different ways of doing it, even within the MCU. Incredible Hulk isn't an origin story. Black Panther won't be an origin story because we've already been introduced to him. Although, as they pointed out, we haven't been introduced to 99% of his world. So there's still yeah. a huge mm. amount of heavy lifting to do there. It's only him that we've met. And we also, for example, don't know yet, because they wouldn't confirm at the time, if he has, because he has kind of two sets of powers. Um, possibly even more. Uh, he has the, the sort of the mystical aspect. <gasps> as well as the physical, the suit, and so on. Mm. So we've seen the suit, but we don't know if he is... Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a herb that enhanced him. There's a, a sort of a mystical kind of the mantle, the mystical mantle of the Black Panther, um, and we don't know anything about that. So the, there's actually quite a lot of origining to do there. A mystical <laughs> herb. Are we, are we a, coming a, full circle to no, there, there is There is a herb uh, there is also that only works for the royal family. There's a sort of a mystical ceremony 
involves the herb and then there's the the, the physical Can you get it on prescription if you've got glaucoma? If, it, if you are not a member of the royal family of Wakanda, it will not work for you. And that's what Killmonger found, who's, of course, the character who's going to be played by Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, prohibition doesn't work, kids. There you go. Anyway, back to this movie. Yeah. I think I think the origin story, going back to that idea I talked about, you have to lead the audience by the hand sometimes. And uh, I think they have almost perfected this template. Um Almost to the point where you can feel that they are, they are aware that it's a template. Yes. And you can feel them pushing against it. And exactly. there, there are, and I think future films will, will definitely shy away from this uh, as cut and dried as it is at the moment, I think. Uh, Connor Walsh asks also via email, with all the brackets admittedly very funny, close brackets, quips, did it sort of feel at times that they may be trying to create the next RDJ? That's Robert Downey Jr. Uh, preparing for him leaving the franchise. Felt like they were writing for Iron Man at times. I mean, there are obvious, obvious parallels between the characters. Oh, yeah. Huge. Um, and and certainly as we meet him at the beginning, Strange has more money than sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, more uh, watches than <laughs> more I think I've owned in my money. life. Yeah, more watches than money, more money than sense. Hey, time is motif. He's got loads <gasps> of... Wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I thought some of the quips didn't entirely work, uh, didn't <gasps> feel natural to the character. Not, not uh, Most of them did. Just a couple were a little bit clumsy, I thought. But... Um, but I mean, may- maybe they are. Maybe they are planning to have him as a as a substitute I, RDJ. There, there are there are lots of similarities, I think, between the two characters. They're both, as you say, rich, egotistical, arrogant, smug, all of those things. I thought his Goatees. humor was less. Yes, Goatee. Yeah. Uh, although Tony Tony Stark's isn't quite as magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought Strange's humor didn't have quite the hard edge. True. That Tony's has. Uh, some of it properly made me ruffle. I, uh, <laughs> I just said ruffle. I did just say that without irony, wow. sorry. Hashtag ruffle. Yeah, hashtag rufflecopter. Um, I really, really liked the interplay with Wong, the Beyonce stuff, the Adele stuff. I loved him stealing books from the library. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And the Mr. Doctor riff just destroyed me. Yeah, that was I good. thought that was just delivered to perfection. And it's all down to Mickelson, that sort of Mr. Doctor. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to say? <laughs> like, I mean, it's ridiculous, but it was very funny. And the cloak, the cloak humour. The cloak was lovely. The cloak. Yeah, I yeah. could not stop laughing. Yeah. I mean, I really think they nailed the humour. It wasn't, you know, as obviously comedic as something like Ant-Man, but it really yeah. worked when it was funny. I think it really landed. I think I just think it wasn't, for me, it wasn't as successful as something like Iron Man, which is more the level I expected it to mm. get. But, uh, but uh, I liked a lot of those jokes, so it was just there were a couple that just kind of felt a little flat for me. I think James is right. I think the uh, I think the the difference between Robert Downey Jr. slash Tony Stark's humor and Doctor Strange's uh, humor is completely different. It's night and day. Tony is always on the attack. He's always undermining people. He's always coming up with quips and stupid nicknames. And Strange, in those interactions with Wong, feels like someone who's trying to find his feet and he's making like yeah. a defense mechanism joke. And even the way he plays the kind of Eminem, you know, it's a very yeah. tentative joke. Whereas <laughs> now. Stark would constantly be on the attack with that. Yeah. The interesting thing about Strange is, and I haven't read every Doctor Strange comment, but the ones I have read over the years, he is a very, very serious guy. He is very po-faced, mm. and he's coming out with all these ridiculous phrases all the time. And that character in the big screen, I don't think would work. And they have leavened it, and there is levity in there, and I and I really like that. And I think Cumberbatch did a really, really good job with this character. So you can see the darkness in him, and uh, and you can see just enough despair to make it feel realistic that he would go to Camartage. 
uh, but just enough of a spark as well. So then he, when he is confronted with all this dimension altering mind altering stuff that he can actually react to it as we would react to it he is very much the audience surrogate for, for yeah. a lot of that mm. stuff um, it's very very good but I wouldn't say he's the next RDJ uh, I think we have a perfectly good one <laughs> still still as far as I can tell uh, working um, for, you know, but you just look at the scene in Civil War you put Doctor Strange with, with Peter Parker you put Doctor Strange in that same scene it doesn't play in remotely the same way well, no, no, you know nobody's saying like, he's the same character. No, of course, but, well, I think there are some overlaps. There are overlaps, but, I mean, he absolutely would play that scene differently, mm. of course, but it's more about the, the sort of the the group scenes with everyone there. And again, his his humour is different, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that, you know, he couldn't take the arrogant know-it-all role who orders everybody else around. I think a lot of it has to do with his character arc. So RDJ obviously gets broken down uh you know, but he fixes himself, doesn't he? Almost his own skill, his own arrogance is responsible for his own salvation. Whereas I think Strange is reduced to absolute ruin and helplessness, and he's never at this point really healed. And I think he's so damaged by that that there he it introduces a sort of an amount of humility to him. And I think that comes through. And exactly as Chris was saying, in that interplay with Wong, he is kind of feeling him out. He's a little nervous. Mm. He's on the back foot. That's true. Uh, and that I, that makes him a more interesting character to me. That's not to say I, I like him more than Iron Man because Tony Stark is awesome but you know like you say they're all different we love them all equally (laughs) all right mum god okay here's a question from twitter at k1 manny asks uh i haven't seen the film yet off to a good start but i have watched the 15 minute preview it was bonkers in a good way do you think this is marvel's way of testing the waters and how crazy they can get without their concepts and uh, depending on how well it will be received because we don't know at this point how it's going to do at the box office will it affect how the rooster brothers will shape infinity war i mean maybe they had they were working on a first draft of that script back in uh, January, uh, Marcus and McFeely. So I would imagine by this point they're on to like draft like 800,000. <laughs> so, you know, you'd imagine it's fairly far down the line because it's such a huge undertaking uh, that I don't know how much room there'll be to massively reshape it based on this one. It feels to me part of the roadmap. I mean, if you've read the Infinity Gauntlet, it tackles a lot of the and like I said I don't know how closely the Infinity War will will cleave to it but it tackles a lot of the more mystical elements of the Marvel Universe you've got eternity you've got the living tribunal you've got things that don't really gel with the Marvel Universe up until this point the MCU Mm -hmm. up until this point and I think this opens the door to dimensions and you know uh, cognitive galaxies whatever eternity is you know what I mean it's the closest thing to a god like a proper god in in the Marvel Universe and to me, it's it's broadened the canvas. You know, what I mean, it's opened doors to possibilities that weren't there before. Because I think if you look at it purely in terms of what we've had to date, it's about powers and shows of force. Yeah. And the when Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet, it's very much beyond that. I mean, the whole it's it, if you read the Infinity Gauntlet, it's all about him trying to get Death into bed. Yes. You know, it's a very very odd story. I'm sure they'll avoid that particular part of it, but it is very mystical. And at one point, he they have it in phases, don't they? They have like the heroes attack him, and then the a-team heroes attack him and then the gods like Eternity and stuff attack him and no one does anything. Yeah. It's it's nuts. It is it is going to be interesting and I think we're going to see a little bit more of that opening up in Guardians 2 mm. Uh, mm. which gets a little bit more into the elders and that kind of stuff mm. that from w- we believe. Yeah, there's more to this universe than just a few superpower people running around. So, the yeah, so I think, I think, I think the, the response is 
I think they're not relying on this to do that heavy lifting that K1 Manny is suggesting because I think they have Guardians 2 and uh, Ragnarok mm. still to come to do more of that sort of establishing work for Infinity War. The interesting thing about Doctor Strange, though, and this feeds into a question from Will Driver ninety three on Twitter. He says, uh, "Do you, how do you think the multiverse will feature in the MCU plans? Will it just be certain heroes using it, or do you think Marvel will use it as a way of rebooting slash recasting characters when, say, Downey doesn't want to reprise his role?" And I think that's certainly one way. I, I, I've said this before in the podcast. I think that's certainly one way that introducing the multiverse will will help keep franchises going. There's you know, there's no reason why when Downey finally hangs up his helmet, so to speak, that you couldn't have Doctor Strange or someone visit another Earth where there's a younger Tony Stark, uh, played by Jay Baruchel. <laughs> I don't know, uh, and drag him into the into the current day, into our world. And yeah, have him be- I, I don't know how much they'd want to do that because when they started doing that in comics, things got really ridiculous, really fast, oh, yeah. and and that's what leads to all these. Uh, like page one reboots of entire comic book universes, uh, which sometimes go so disastrously wrong. Uh, so it's it's uh, you can probably get away with it once, maybe as a novelty, but it is not something you, I think you can probably rely on too much. Yeah, but yeah, it might give you one j- get out of jail free yeah, right. Otherwise, it could just become oh, you don't want to re up your contract, Chris Evans. Well, just what happens, we have. <laughs> Dan Stevens, look at this. Ah. Hang on, hang on. He'll never work. He's not called Chris. Come on. There's a, there's a, there's, there is there's an a interesting point here that there has to be an end point to the MCU as it is, really, unless they do start just using different characters from the comics. And admittedly, there are thousands, but they're using a lot of the, you know, the A-listers now. Unless you do start recycling roles, you have to kind of... Draw a line under it. But the interesting you? thing is that a lot of these guys were not the A-list before the MCU made them the A-list. Iron Man was the guy that you... That was how you tested people's comic book knowledge was if they knew who Iron Man was. Because everybody knew the X-Men and Batman and Superman. And he was second tier. And this is, I think, what people forget now. He was second tier in terms of general people's knowledge of the comics. People did not know who Iron Man was. Think back. It's true. It's hard for me to get outside the fact that I'm an enormous geek and have been reading Iron Man for like 30 it, it, years. It's true. Um, but <laughs> it's true. normal people did not know who Iron Man was. He was not the comic book A-list. I would I never start, presume to speak for normal people. Well, yeah. I started my Iron Man feature, my feature on the uh, the first film back in 2008. I started it. We were driving up to the set of the film in Playa Fiesta in LA. And a Russian journalist who was on the bus, it was a big group of journalists, turned around to me. We were driving through the gate of the studio, <laughs> turned around to me and said, who is Iron Man? <laughs> and did you say spoiler? Don't you think you might have looked that up beforehand? Maybe. But I also remember the, uh, the same feature. I, I went through customs. I went, I uh, went, why are you here? And I went, I'm here to visit the set of a movie. I went, which movie? Iron Man. I went, who's Iron Man? And that was 2007 back then. And now, obviously, everybody knows who yep. Iron Man is. Um, and the whole point of bringing in Black Panther and Doctor Strange and Ant-Man and people like that is to make them the A-list. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As well for whenever Thor or Captain America or whatever, um, you know, uh, hang up, whatever they, it is that they're going to hang up. But I mean, and we rightly get accused of being a little bit Marvel friendly here, but it is astonishing what they managed to do with characters who were, I think I was right in saying, B-list characters because you know it is when it comes to marvel it's spider-man it's the spider-man universe it's x-men it's the x-men universe but 
Marvel at the time did not have the right to do that stuff, so they made the best with what they had, and look at what they've achieved. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. Uh, because you're absolutely right, you know, even though I read, you know, Iron Man stuff, I wasn't a huge Avengers mm. fan. I was about X-Men. I was about Spider-Man, yeah. you know. I was never really that interested in Thor, Captain America, or any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, absolutely incredible. I think if anyone so can do that and do anything, it could be truly, truly bonkers. Uh, if if it gets as big as it's going to get, I mean, just a sheer number of characters alone, giving each one of those at least one standout moment is <laughs> how do you do that? Yeah, and also they have to do something that they haven't done so far, which is make Thanos interesting <laughs> and also a viable threat. Yeah, and you get Josh Brolin in, and you're not going to give Josh Brolin a couple of things to do they have to step up the plate and they can't have him being like Casilius where he just waves at something and then has a big scene well that's what I mean that's what we've been speculating all along and what I was saying earlier movie one is presumably him really badly defeating a lot of people that we love mm-hmm. um, so yes. that will hopefully do those two jobs yeah. I guess but uh, yeah but certainly I think the, uh, the, the 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 time stone the eye of Agamotto is is a get out of jail free card in terms of if at the end of part one Thanos has killed a lot of people mm. uh, the Eye of Agamotto is obviously a good, good yeah. way of yeah. rewinding things yeah. to make sure that everyone's okay I, but then again it might be too easy it might, it might be, be I mean they it, did know. it for Wong already actually so yeah also Thanos will have the Eye of Agamotto he may have the Eye of Agamotto he may have. If he gets all six, it's game over. You can't stop that. But you ha- I think that has to happen. He has to have all six at one point, doesn't he? Because that's, that's where all the... That's, that's the money shot. Is that shot. End so of part one? Conventional storytelling yeah. tropes would, would have us uh, <laughs> believe, yes. He, he, at some point, he will have to get all six. But, and the, the situation will have to be utterly hopeless. Yeah. So much of Stark's beard turns grey and he just goes white with fear. And he starts to look yeah. like a completely different person? Is that completely what you're... Completely different person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. He looks like um, I was going to say John Slattery, but <laughs> that'd be weird. Probably not. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Me too. Still no one here. Let's just keep going. Uh, Obi Mu, you mentioned earlier on. Uh, first thing is a clip from Ragnarok. May not be a clip. Yeah, maybe a special scene. Yeah, yeah. I thought they did obviously do that with um, uh, Ant Man and the end of um, yes. Winter Soldier. At Rules Cube says, uh, James Mangold recently noted, and you quoted this, didn't you, in your review? I did. That uh, Logan, the upcoming final Wolverine movie, wouldn't be a, and I'm quoting here, a hyper choreographed, gravity defined, city block destroying CG fuckathon. Uh, what do you think, if you believe as I do, that Doctor Strange did so well with its use of CGI where other superhero movies have so hopelessly failed? I would say read the Empire Review, where is yeah. it addressed directly? <laughs> yeah. But no, I think I think it's uh, I think that, that sequence at the end where the city is rebuilt around them is a really witty repost to that not unfair criticism of Marvel, um, and I think also that they're getting more and more aware of the danger of repeating themselves, and especially in those last acts, because everybody's pointed out, "Hello, it's a big thing over the city. Stop already." Um, so they are trying to change that they did change it with Civil War that wasn't mm. uh, the focus of the film at all and they did differently here so I think we have to hope that they've taken that criticism on board and are dealing with it appropriately in their defence Marvel do a better class of city destroying CG fuckathon I'm just saying that's true Man I of would Steel not, yeah. well yeah let's it not. can be a lot worse yeah. well, we had an argument the other day didn't we about Winter Soldier because I think Winter Soldier's as good uh, a version of the Return of the Jedi 
cutting back and forth between three different locations and three different things happening. Correct. As there has been since Return of the Jedi. And James thinks it's just just giant things dropping onto a city. It isn't that. There's so much going on within the giant things dropping onto the city. There's the stuff with Robert Redford and Ellie, you know, and there's the stuff with, you know, Cap and Bucky and there's yep. the Falcon uh, storyline going on as well. I think that's really, really great stuff. Um, but th- this I loved, and we talked about this on the regular podcast because this isn't a fuckathon. This is an unfuckathon yes. because uh, Doctor Strange is fixing the destruction uh, wrought by Dormammu. Go, Dormammu, Do- you mother. Um, Dormammu, um, who appears to live in what can only be described as a 70s nightclub. It's all black light <laughs> and neon. It's absolutely hilarious. Where else would you choose to live if you were an all powerful being? Being James, come on! It is the dark dimension. You do. It does beg the question: What do these guys do with their days? How do they fill their? He days? He doesn't have days. He this has no time. He is beyond he time. Is beyond time. Yeah, he just hangs around. He and merely consumes is. things. Yeah. Um, kind of talked a little bit with Scott Derrickson. What do you think about the introduction of Dormammu? Uh, with will audiences be? weirded out by it. You know, they've been taught by the MCU for the last few movies that Thanos is the big guy to worry about and then suddenly there's this other guy who's got infinite power. What's that about? It's alright, he's over there. He's over there? Yeah. Okay, he's he's one less to worry about. He's locked in his own dimension, I think that. And also now they have a deal and presumably evil, all-powerful things keep promises. Well, he, uh, he and did. And he's agreed to leave us all alone. For so, the time being. Thanks for that, Dormammu. Well, yeah, but will Thanos get wind of Dormammu? Mm. Mm, imagine that. But the question also was about CG, and this, the effects in this are fantastic, aren't they? They're, they're, they're really, they're yeah, really it's, great. Yeah. It's a fucked up a thon. It's it's astonishing. <laughs> I, I think the principal effects, and please do guys correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was principally ILM, um, but a bunch of different houses uh, contributed to this. But I think they're all working at just absolutely tip top levels. I thought it was gorgeous. And there was there was a lot of criticism specifically after the trailer that this was Nolan light and it was all just ripped off of Inception. We've seen it all before. I think that's unfair. I think the sort of the up is down and down is up. Buildings bending and twisting thing has certainly something that we've seen before, but it's done differently. And all that kind of undulating architecture and rippling and platforms flying everywhere. Yeah. I thought, you know, to me actually it reminded me more of the end of Star Trek Beyond than it did of Inception to be honest that whole sort of playing mm, with gravity, gravity playing thing. with motion yeah, that's true um, but no I, I thought it worked very well as, a, as an event uh, in its own right I said this on the regular podcast so apologies if I'm repeating myself but how jaded are we as cinema goers that you see something that happens very very quickly in Inception because they introduce the idea of folding cities mm. and manipulating reality and then they don't really do anything with that for the rest of the movie I mean there's the yeah hotel corridor fight scene obviously yeah. where they're playing with gravity but the idea of folding cities is introduced and then dispensed with yeah. and how jaded are we as cinema goers that something that takes that basic idea and then does incredible things with it that we have never seen before seven years later that people go yeah seen that really <laughs> really <laughs> Yeah. I mean, come on. Seriously. Have you really seen that? I mean, the Magical Mystery Tour. I don't think, you know, I've seen a man grow fingers from his fingers and then hands become a body of hands and turns into his own face with an eye. There's some really interesting psychedelic <laughs> stuff going on here. I mean, I, yeah, I may have done, but... Interesting is uh, a vast understatement for that sequence. I, I loved also the, the beginning where the street next to the Corinthia Hotel uh, <laughs> essentially turned into clockwork. I thought that was brilliant. That's Whitehall, isn't it? Is it by Whitehall? Yeah, it's, it's just down, yeah. down your, down your uh, embankment station. Yeah, it's the Corinthia Hotel, uh, which is uh, where a lot of the Marvel press conferences and junkets take place. So you imagine Kevin Feige did his location scout by just going outside and going, huh. 
That'll yeah, do. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> and now, more room service, please. <laughs> uh, I really like that. Uh, also, what do you think of the idea of this uh, Sanctum Sanctorum, the three of them, being three of them around the world, and there's one in Hong Kong, and one in New York, and one in London? I think it gives you a little bit of, uh, of room to play around and sort of hop around locations, I guess, uh, which wasn't fully capitalised upon here, I don't think. I think it's fair to say. But... Um, it's weird if everything always comes down to New York. And I think you have to have his Sanctum Sanctorum in New York because that's a really established part of the, the character. Yeah, absolutely. But it makes sense that that's not where all of this power is located naturally. It, you know, it sort of it allows you that nice discovery where he goes in and he basically meets his new home and his new cloak. His new cloak. Uh, one of the most effective characters in the film, I would say, is yes. the Cloak of Levitation, uh, which at times feels a little bit Harry Potterish. With its yeah. sort of rambunctious personality, it's a little bit. It reminded me a little bit of you're going to say the footstool in Beauty and the Beast. I thought you were going to say the luggage from Terry Pratchett. Also, the luggage from Terry Pratchett. <laughs> it's not quite as violent. Oh no, it is. It's quite violent. Isn't it bludgeons it? the guy half to death. Wow. I, maybe it is made of sapient pear wood. Perhaps it is sapient pear thread. Anyway, he. Uh, I, I love the bit where he he falls over the banister and it shoots over the edge and then he comes flying up with it billowing out. That's yeah. a wonderful yeah. thing. Yeah. Love the cloak. Yeah. Really good cloak. Yeah, it beats Scott Adkins. Yeah, so it's 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 succeeded where many bad guys have many failed guys over failed, the years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like the cape. Uh, spin-off movie for the cape. Cloak, cloak, cloak. It's not a cape. It's a cloak. Adam J. Snape asks very quickly. Just last couple. Adam J. Snape asks, why did no one seem confused by dudes in robes wandering the streets? Did the public know that there was a secret army of mystic warriors hiding in the foreign embassy? I mean, if you've you know, if you spend a lot of time in New York, London, or I'm guessing Hong Kong, you'll see some oddly dressed people wandering yeah, about. Like, yeah. That's just there the way are crazy it is. clowns out. You know, no one's worried about people who look like Harry Krishnas, I yeah. guess, exactly. with the robe. And actually, a lot of the time they're on the street, they're on they're in the mirror dimension, so they don't actually spend quite as long out there as you precisely. Think they do. You don't see the weird shit that they get up to, yeah. uh, which is why Stan Lee and his cameo, for example, does not react to a man slamming into the side of his bus because it it's not happening as far as he's concerned. Yeah. He is also reading The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley, so I imagine he's in a whole different place. <laughs> of course, he finds it hilarious. You have to question why yeah. that character is reading that book. Not a comedy. Just saying. Uh, you're not a fan of the Stan Lee cameos, are you? I've absolutely hate them I think they're incredibly self-indulgent and and he is uniformly awful in all of them well bad news because he recorded four in a day oh, so. I just I, it's, it's, I find them smug and I find them irritating and I get that he's an incredibly influential figure and I'm internally grateful for the work that he has done but I don't need to see him being shit in every film that comes out well, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. There we go, James. I'm sorry. Hating joy. It's a thing yeah. for me. I apologize, Stan. You're awesome. Would you Love like your us, work, but stop it. Would you like us to actually bring a pensioner in so you can kick him? <laughs> Perhaps if he was like interestingly killed in every film, that would be maybe how, fun. How dare you, sir? You know? How dare you? What is that? What sort of monster are you? <laughs> Enough said, true believers. In, in, At Mac Totoro asks, did you guys like the cleverness of the ending, i.e., the time loop? Yes, we talked a about lot. this a little bit, but that's a little bit. That's I, a bit I would have liked. I think it needed just one more touch for me. So we we were talking about this in the office. Uh, Doctor Who did a similar thing recently in, a, in an episode called I think Heaven Sent. Um, supernatural. I'm sorry, uh, but it, they do, they did a, they did it in a great great riff on Groundhog Day uh, called the Mystery Spot. But instead of just waking up every morning, um, Sam wakes up every morning when Dean is killed. 
so basically, Sam I've watches. Seen yeah, it's great. I've seen that one. Sam watches his brother die like thousands of times, thousands of now, times in horrific ways. This is the trickster who turns out to be an angel, isn't it? That's a massive spoiler, James. <laughs> but Sam watches his brother die in thousands and thousands of different ways, and you see the kind of trauma that that has on him. And I think what they needed from me, and this sounds really slightly sadistic, I think you needed to see what it cost him a little tiny bit more to sell that self-sacrifice that is meant to be what he is doing here. I think it just needed one more moment or just a moment of catching his breath before he jumps back into the the negotiations. Just some tiny moment that shows you what it's taking out of him. Or a sense of weariness, perhaps? Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I come to bargain. Yeah. But I guess he can't show weariness. But Maybe you need it before he jumps up back over yeah. the edge of the planet, you know, because he can't show it to Dormammu himself. Yeah. Weirdly, I liked that they didn't have that because I liked that it was his big sort of like, it was his big fuck you, wasn't it? He was like, Dormammu, I'm here to negotiate. You know, he was just as if to say, you're never getting out of this. I'm going to wear you down. And I think he needed to, I think you're right in that he needed to show that to Dormammu. But I think we as an audience needed to see that this was self-sacrifice to yeah. to show definitively that he'd taken on board what the Ancient One said. Yeah. I think I think it's an interesting progression for the character. I think you know it's the guy at the beginning who is all about himself, and at the end he makes a decision. If Dormammu doesn't go for it, he is stuck in that loop forever, uh, and that's an incredibly selfless act. Uh, and I think that uh, Cumberbatch really sells it. The, the, the confidence that he sells that that scene with that he knows he's got Dormammu uh, in a pickle, so to speak. <laughs> um, but also, I'm, I'm not so sure. We talked about it a little bit with Derrickson, like estimate how long that actually took I think Dormammu is pretty smart I think Dormammu would have realised pretty quickly that this is uh, yeah I'm stuck here yeah well okay well done Doctor Strange you got me this time and I don't think it would have gone for like a year or a thousand years I think he would have got it after maybe a couple of hours oh a thousand takes but it's only a few minutes loop isn't yeah, it yeah of course because it's such yeah. a such a, a quick yeah. loop and he would have gone yeah enough of this big off on soon I've got to watch that <laughs> yes I, I, but I thought it might have been uh I think Dormammu would get tired of it very quickly because he has no concept of time. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get it from Stranger's point of view a little bit more. I don't know. Uh, possibly I'm being unfair and this was the, the right kind of compromise between the mm. two. I think um, Strange is very trusting of Dormammu. Yeah. Because what's to stop him uh, dude, if you turning can't, off the loop? If you can't trust the root of all evil, <laughs> uh, then who can you trust but in this isn't, world? isn't this a theme in indeed fantasy and magic and stuff that demons or other other dimensionally things are generally bound by their word this tends to be an ongoing theme mm. in fiction I think so. it goes back to the fairies fairies yeah. are supposed to if you can they will exactly keep their word but of course they won't go anything beyond it mm. the pedants of the highest order indeed mm. like yourself James indeed well, I thought it was a really really fun refreshing way to end it as well um, brains over brawn yeah I once, yeah. Did, I once did a thing for the magazine counting how the number of people who've died in the MCU and how long it takes before they get resurrected. <laughs> and if you were to do that with this, yeah. like, oh, dead, always oh, back, dead, always oh, back, dead, always oh, back, dead, always oh, back. It could uh, be a little repetitive. Yeah, it, yeah. it is. But also, that's interesting because if you look at that scene again, when Strange flies away and Caecilia says to Mordo, oh, he's buggered off, he's every man for himself, you know, once again, you've been betrayed by the great betrayer, etc. I'm paraphrasing. Um, but um, you have the camera lingering on Mordo's face, mm. and he's really pissed, and that's almost like a pivotal moment in his transformation, as, as we talked about with Scott Derrickson, from uh, believer to f- fundamentalist, yeah. uh, almost terrorist, almost, at the, uh, at the end. 
But the time loop comes back before that moment happens. So does he still remember that emotion? Does he still have that emotion? Is that he's that... outside the loop though, isn't he? No, because it uh, he oh I see he's outside strange that flies loop. away and then he's we cut back strangers to strangers loop. Okay, you know strangers on the ground and then he comes back down behind. Either way, was. I don't buy the Mordo thing at the end in any way. Uh, it is, I know he's the primary villain in the early Dot Strange comics, so you know you're kind of primed for that. But to go from incredibly reliable stalwart to not just I'm going a bit bad but I'm going to become a massive sadist and kill this poor or cripple this poor guy who just wants to be able to walk uh, no just no don't 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 buy that but um, uh, all we can all we can assume is a lot happens off screen in between that sequence of him walking away and Benjamin Bratt getting you know I, know, I thought Scott Derrickson was very persuasive uh, yeah. have you listened to the interview I haven't listened to it you so haven't listened I to the can't speak to it and he's very interested about his uh, personal experience with fundamentalism uh, so check that out I thought that that, that, that worked pretty well for me and I, I'm, I'm glad they, they didn't go with Mordo um, who's been downgraded from Baron uh, just a poor old Mordo. Um, a master. He's a master. He's a master, but it's not. You know, it's not. A, he doesn't have. A, does a baron have land? I imagine that he has land, and you know, a, you traditionally, know, yeah, yeah, probably four thousand pounds a year. Wow, goodness! <laughs> I must marry him at once. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad they didn't go with Mordo as the the bad guy right away. Um, I'm intrigued that they went with Dormammu. I thought because I thought it was just going to be Caecilius. And I'm intrigued that they've already opened up the the giant spectral multi-dimensional Hole massive beasts. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting to me. Um, I think that Chiwetel Ejiofor is like all the performance in this. He's very very good. He's very very committed. But I do wonder if the character gets slightly lost. Yeah, he as made, well. just needed a little more of a moment, a little yeah something extra. Maybe. As with so many of the supporting characters here, as we've discussed. Absolutely. So the film ends. The film ends uh, with Strange on his own. Uh, alone in the Sanctum Sanctorum as Scott Derrickson said in the interview he is at that point not part of the MCU he hasn't met any of the Avengers he hasn't met anyone else Um, it's very interesting that you know I think Marvel are great with endings I think they've been fantastic with endings and this is their quietest ending it's him standing on his own looking out the window uh, on the city that he has now become one of the guardians of and that's it it ends with a shot of New York there's none of the the, the humour of the end of Ant-Man, which is probably my favourite of their endings, um, or the way Civil War ends, you know, with that sort of note of possible hope and promise and nobility from uh, a Renaissance cap. What did you make of it? What do you make of where this character can go? I mean, I think he's uh, at least sort of maybe, I don't know, 70% of the way there, I guess, in being established. You know, you've got the cloak, you've got the house... You've got the beginnings of the learning and the and the obvious talent for it, um, and it's it, surely at that point it's just a matter of finishing the reading list, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, a little bit more tai chi, a little bit of reading. Yeah, Bob's your uncle. It might be quite a modular course. There could be coursework and all sorts of practical stuff that needs to go with it. <laughs> it's really hard to say. Perhaps he seems a to be. Um, he seems to be leaving the Eye of Agamotto alone, which is wise. If you have an Infinity Stone, as Wong knows, it's an Infinity Stone, and it's just lying around for someone to pick up and, and use. But um, but who would want to pick it up? What sort of idiot would want to do that, honestly? To do so would be to court death. Yes, you're breaking the natural laws. Don't tamper with the natural laws, you doofus. Um, yeah, I, I think it's. I think this character's got a lot of potential. Uh, I'm fascinated to see. I think we even get a, a taste of what he's going to be like interacting with with Thor. Um, 
and yeah, you know, I'm really looking forward to scenes. Presuming we get them uh, with Cumberbatch and Hiddleston together, because that's going to break the internet. <laughs> it just is, isn't it? it? It massively is. Yeah, yeah. I've been in a room with both of them at once. People were fainting all around me. <laughs> that's just a natural effect you have on people. Well, it is. Yeah, it's true. In fairness, I had I had to ask them to just you know get it together, guys. Of course, of course. But I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see what happens over Doctor Strange 2, over Avengers Infinity War, over Thor Ragnarok, uh, because this character at some point has to make himself worthy of being on S.H.I.E.L.D.'s watch list. So, (laughs) there we go. Um, Very, very good film. Very much enjoyed it. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. Before that is it. That is the end of our Doctor Strange uh, spoiler special. Um, Our next spoiler special... You could probably guess what it may be, but do keep an eye on our Twitter feed. I'm not going to confirm anything here, but uh, do keep an eye out. And of course, if you want to listen to our, our arsenal of supporter specials, go back. Uh, they're on the website, empireonline.com. And of course, the regular podcast, the Mothership podcast, hits every Friday. So please do subscribe to that and give us lovely reviews on iTunes, if you will. Um, until next time, it has been goodbye from Helen. Tiddly. It's goodbye from James. By the hoary hordes of Hogoth. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want to get the Ivy Komodo and do that again? Was that okay? You happy well, with I, that? There's no need because at the end of this podcast, it's just going to restart for everyone endlessly. <laughs> so we can just try it again the next time. And uh, it's goodbye for me. Thank you so much for listening. Bye bye.